Morelia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Morelia Python Radio. We are coming close to the end of 2017. We have five shows left. Five. Oh, my God. Five shows left. Um, let me just make sure I got that right. One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> five. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and this is the episode where the hobbits are taking over. Uh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> the airways. <laughs> we have the southern hobbit and the northern hobbit will be uh, will be joining us tonight. Uh, Ryan Sullivan from the Ivory uh, Connection will be joining us tonight. Uh, to talk about retics and berms, um, it should be cool. But what's up with you, Owen? Uh, we'll be getting him on in a minute. Uh, what's up with me is I've been doing a shit ton of work over here. I got the rack systems that I was building finished up because I kind of got frustrated about my lack of wanting to do those. So I got them done. They're finished. And then I started getting the cage ready because probably this week, uh, the rough scales will be back here. Oh, shit. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, is that, I, I, is that like I, you I, can't believe that they're finally coming back? Or Oh, my God. I'm so happy. <laughs> but it's like, because I got this, I got a uh, AP cage that's a four-footer, and it's, it's a big for a four-footer. Like, I, don't, I think it's like an inch or two bigger than a normal four-footer. And it's got right. these two swing doors, like they swing out. Um, so I actually put a, uh, actually built a wall inside to split the cage in half and a, one roughie is going to get each side of that. And then I have the other cages for the other one. So it's like my juvenile roughie is going to get this like really cool thing. And then my, uh, larger female is going to get a normal like three footer. So it's like, they're all going to be back here. So, uh, I'm excited. <laughs> Pretty cool. Pretty cool. I know. Well, uh, I didn't have a Happy Snake Tuesday delivery uh, because okay. I, had to, I had to work today. But I will have Aww. a Happy Snake Wednesday <laughs> delivery, which will what's be coming tomorrow? What's coming tomorrow? Ah, uh, let's see. Uh, tomorrow I have a Moluccan scrub, oh. female, yeah, and a. Papuan python female. Oh, that's then now the Papuan's coming. Okay. I also took the plunge and got a pair as well. So now I have a trio. You, um You got wait, you got a pair of Papuans? Yeah, captive born and bred. Um So now you have Papuan. a trio of Papuan pythons. Okay. Yeah, uh, and a lot of uh, big snake. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um I also have a sarong barneck, captive born and bred. Uh, oh yeah, you did show me that. All right. Yep. Wow. So that's pretty cool. Pretty excited uh, about that. I did not have a happy snake weekend. If we want to go into that, um, oh, no. uh, <laughs> it was the Oaks show. So I went to Oaks and I cruised uh-huh. around. I was walking around trying to thinking about if I wanted to get some, like you know, I was looking for maybe a pair of collier bridge or something. And th- first off, there were a ton of massive uh there, there were two very 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 big berms like the biggest berms i've seen in a while um mm-hmm. there and they were huge and i'm like that was impressive to see once again 
but finish up at Oaks and I go back to my place and, I, and Andrew comes with me because we're going to probe uh, some of the animals before introductions. We're also going to probe something because um, I put my Womas together and the female Woma started spurring the male Woma. So I figured I did something wrong there. <laughs> so um, <laughs> Wait I was correct. <laughs> That's not right. And I was correct. Um, the, what I thought was the male Woma was the female Woma. So everything's okay. I still have a pair. I just got them confused. So, and then I also figured out which of the olive pythons is my female. And I actually sharpied her tail. So I know who she is. So <laughs> put a big eight on her back or something. I, know, I, just, like I, just colored, I just colored her tail. Like her tail is like the tip of it's just black mouth. So, you know, that's fine. It'll rub off and it'll shed off later. But just so I know who she is. Um, but then I wanted to probe my uh, Max before I mm-hmm. introduced them. Because my mm-hmm. female was so much bigger. My breedable female is so much bigger than my boy. Mm-hmm. So we go to probe the female. And immediately holding it, just pushing sperm plugs everywhere. And it's just a shot to the freaking heart. So it's just you and that project, man. I don't know what's wrong. (laughs) It's not, I don't know what's wrong with me and Max. I can't do it. (laughs) The universe keeps stopping me. (laughs) Yeah. Man, when you actually produce them someday, you're going to be like I quit. charging I quit. $900 a baby for one of those things because of the freaking turtle There'll be a, story, there'll be a book that comes with them, yeah, about how I had to try. But, yeah, mm-hmm. this is – so we're completely shot. I have um, one female that's probably about a year away, and then I have the baby female I picked up this year. So, it, it basically, it looks like we're not even going to – get max this year unless i can miraculously stumble across one so i'm throwing this out there into the ethers if you are listening and you have a female maclots python that's been annoying you and you want to sell and you can tell and prove it's female i will buy it from you so name your price i will come drive to get it i swear to god so wow we'll see yeah okay yeah (laughs) all right so uh um so how was Oaks? Oaks was it? Oaks was okay. I mean, it it, it was it's a smaller venue show. Um, it was yeah. nice walking around. They had some things that I kind of hadn't seen in a while. Some baby ackies. Uh, oh, cool. Uh, yeah, no, they were they were nice little things. Um, uh, they had brought somebody had brought in some viper boas, so I got to see those. Uh, you know, there there wasn't really anything that stood out to me that I would want. They had a big yellowtail uh Kribo in a bin and i did oh, not boy. realize that they got that big <laughs> so it was like i was like oh, no no it made it worse <laughs> it's like oh my god <laughs> it was one of those Hell i must have these <laughs> so <laughs> it yeah. it was huge it was huge really? the head on those things i've i've had i have pythons that have smaller heads then on that Kribo and it was a yellowtail. And normally I'd always not really given yellowtails kind of like any mind. Cause I was one of the black ones, but I'm like, dear God, it was massive. But then I'm like, I want this. I would love to have it. And then I'm like, but 
how would I house this thing? So I'm sitting here, and this dude's like, nice Kribo, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, shut up. And I'm like staring at it as I'm trying to contemplate where to put it, how to build it, you know, what to do with this damn thing. (laughs) I'm not going to buy this one because it looks dirty. But, you know, it's what what to do to prepare for it. And it's like, I'm like, I'd have to have like the four-foot cage minimum. For these things, and I'm talking for a smaller one, it was huge. So, definitely on my list of things to do. And I'd I'd feel bad if it didn't have like a six foot or eight foot cage. So that's what I would probably have to do. So the olives are going to have to die, (laughs) and then I'm going to have to get you know Crebo. So numerous years out. What's your max where you'll stop size-wise for a snake? Uh, I don't know. I mean, like, <laughs> it, if 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 I can stop before rabbits, you know, if 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 they're like you have to feed it rabbits, then I'm gonna be like, yeah, go to hell. You know, I don't want to do that. But you know, I mean, the olives eat guinea pigs, like XL guinea pigs. So right, that mean they could probably eat rabbits if I really wanted to. I'm pretty sure they got size for them, but. So I olives would is the biggest. Olives is the biggest that I would go to. Yeah. So. Okay. And my right now my olives have, uh, six by two by twos. So and that's I don't want to get I don't want to let them get any bigger because then I would feel like I need to get them something bigger cage wise. Um, uh huh. So I would feel that to do the crebos right, I would want to have uh, something like that like a six foot cage problem is is that i have a nice system where my olives go together and then the white lips take over the empty six foot cage which is what's going on right now so i would need more six footers so maybe so you you move you cohab the olives and the white lips together all season is that what you do yes yes all season because i have no idea when the white lips breed so i'm kind of being like here figure it out so um Gotcha. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to sit there and be like, "Oh man, I didn't pair them together soon enough," or "Oh man, I didn't keep them together long enough." They're going to be together till probably June at this point. So, cool. Uh, man, yeah. I hope you. Uh, I hope you get some success with them this year. That would be pretty sweet. Me, me too. The male. The they are together. The male. They haven't. They haven't been fighting. Which the past couple of years, I put them together. Uh, there have been like nip spites and opposite ends of the cage this year mm-hmm. they were in the water together when i took that picture and i put it up on facebook and mm-hmm. then i keep catching them in the hide box together and they keep kind of curling up together the male just shed um and i went in there and i got all the pieces of skin and stuff like that but they didn't do uh you know there were the, the, there wasn't really any signs of a fight or anything like that so i don't know i'm kind of just letting them do their thing okay yeah. All right. Um, starting to starting to drop down the temps. I imagine I won't see any action until later. But then I say that, and my male Woma has been bugging the hell out of my female since I put him in there. Like he's just right. spurring the hell out of. I caught him spurring himself. So like he was wrapped around and he was like walking down like himself because I guess he just kind of thought that was the girl. So either mm-hmm. he's really really stupid or just really, really wants to breed. So we'll see what, <laughs> I don't know. So, which one? <laughs> which one? Um, yeah, I don't, 
I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um, we did get uh, we did get a challenge handed to us uh, over the weekend. Um, okay. Mm, yeah, challenge. So our uh, our our sister station, if you will, uh, they 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 had Facebook Live video feed during the no. show. Yeah, 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 yeah. How do you really feel, Owen? <laughs> I really feel that way. You know, I don't need people to see what the hell I'm doing when we're doing the show. I mean, come on now. <sighs> Although we all can't be, we all can't, we all can't be Bill Stiegel, okay? So. You know. Yeah, this is this is true. This is true. Thank you. There's a, there's only one bill. There's, <laughs> there's only, only one bill. bill. That is, yeah, that is for sure. Throwing but, a challenge uh, yeah, out there, piss me yeah, off. Yeah, they, they they were just upset, man. They, they were they were they were a little bit uh, hating, a little jealous hate, man. You know, uh, they uh, they didn't get the GTP keeper uh, episode of the new Condro book that came out, and we got it first. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, hey, listen, when you've had a show that's been running consecutively for as long as we have, we get the big interviews as opposed to, I mean, you know, hey, come on. No need I to mean, be that upset. would be that would be like, uh, would you say like, oh, let's see, I don't know. Like <laughs> Nick, um, wrote, Rick, Nick wrote another book and they went on their show. The New yeah. York, no, I was gonna say I was gonna say like the New York Times as opposed to like you know the Onion. You know what I mean? Like oh, where yeah, would you go yeah, exactly? <laughs> the New York you Times know? versus the supermarket tabloid. It's okay. You know they're talking about <laughs> alien landings and we're reporting on real news. I mean, not even in the same category. Uh, Come on, uh, that's yeah, it's all good. But um, no, it was, uh, they had an episode this past weekend, and um, they had uh, Jason Stevens and Evan Browder on, and uh, it was pretty good. But uh, Jason was doing a, a Facebook Live uh, feed. I'm telling you ex- exactly how that Facebook Live feed would go. It's like we would be talking, and then halfway through talking, like you would just slowly see Zero creeping into the frame. And, <laughs> you know, and... And then he would just be there, and then nobody wants that, or, or you know, yeah, or, or Jim, or creeping into. <laughs> Dear God, the second I would tell him that, oh yeah, we're filming, you just see him just slowly in the background. No, no, I refuse. His head's going to pop up. This like... is like peeking in. Yeah, it's no, no dice. <laughs> his head just peeking up yeah. over the couch. <laughs> this is this is again why we don't do we don't do live shows from any event where alcohol is served and we don't do video. Come on. That's true. True story. True story. Um but uh but yeah so yeah if you get a chance check out the episode um GTP Keeper Radio. Um so I don't know anything else going on uh, before we get uh, Ryan on here? Nah, just uh, trying to hopefully get some breeding stuff. Like, I, I was all happy. I even posted up the breeding journal, and it's already gone to hell. <laughs> so it's like, again. <laughs> scratch scratch that shit, Yeah, just man. rip it. It's like, you got to be kidding me. This is why I don't understand how you can have, like, pairs set See? years in advance. I just keep getting pissed off and ripping things. So, yeah. See, man, if you if you set it in advance, Stop you can't it. change it. It's Stop like, it. Yes, I can. The book, man. That, it is that is not it is. true. <laughs> not not true, sir. 
uh, unless a girl becomes a guy or a guy becomes a girl. Or That's whatever. what happened. Uh, other than that, you're pretty much uh, you're uh, you're bread like girl shed. Uh, so oh, nice. uh, yeah, she doesn't want to eat face. Did you find a cage for her yet? <laughs> no, I have to work on that tomorrow. <laughs> no. She's huge, man. She's I grow, well, you know, it's like let me put it this the tiger I got from you is hungry as hell and trying to kill me. So, you know, it's the reversal. Yeah, what do you want? A breeder, though, you know? I hope That's so. <laughs> so but uh I digress. Um, yep. Let's uh, let's get Ryan on here and let's get this going. Let's talk some retics. Ryan, welcome what to Morelli Python Radio. Glad to have you, man. Hey, what's going on, guys? Not much. Hell yeah, y'all ready to talk some big snakes, man? <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, no rabbits. This is no rabbit shit. Oh man. That's, that's, I, that's my personal preference. No <laughs> rabbits. I mean, also it's my wallet's personal preference. Like, I'll be honest, man. Everything's all retic. Got to be big and huge and these gigantic things. My males across the mm. board, dude. Nine, ten-year-old boys over here that eat colossal rats and like hand-sized guinea pigs and anything the size like a Nerf football. You know what I mean? And they're, they're ancient, and they breed, and they live in four-by-threes, and they do just fine, you know? Yeah, uh, nice. They don't all want to be monsters. Yeah, and I've seen that at uh, – Matt Minatola doesn't keep his retics very big. So I've seen that, and trust me, I have been tempted by retics a few times. It just never really pulled the trigger Nailed. on them. Yeah. Nailed. Yeah. You know, you keep carpet – you got, God, I've seen 15 foot, you know, freaking carpet python. You see no one's collection then. <laughs> well, I. Brian Hummel came out to fucking NARBC a few years ago with a big old. It was a male. He was like 14 foot long. I was really impressed. Dude, he's bigger than any retic fucking male I own for damn sure. And it'll never wow. ever breed. Anyway, um I'm sure. I'm sure. That's why I don't grow my stuff big, man. Big yep. fat males, they're lazy motherfuckers, dude. No, they don't want to yep. do shit. So right. you your life too, man. You know, life expectancy should be like our main concern as a keeper. Anything you're doing that's gonna take away from life expectancy is I I clear of, man. I got you. Oh, so yeah. Ryan, why don't you tell us what got you started in the reptiles? Uh, saving turtles on the road when I was a kid, probably. I don't know, man. I was obsessed with dinosaurs. Like, before I could tell you, like, what my name was in full, I could tell you all about, like, Dilophosaurus and stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I've I just always been obsessed with scaled things. Uh, I was a vet tech for, like, 12 years. So I was always around, like, the animal trade. I've worked pet shops. I helped open the DFW Reptarium. We won't say their name ever again because I hate those motherfuckers. <laughs> But like, uh, I, I just, like I've been around the block, man. I worked at Petco's, uh, but really I landed at a at a vet clinic at one point in my life. I guess it was like 23 to 27 or so, and I was uh, running this uh, this uh, kind of like a breeding facility that was in this vet clinic. The doctor there was a big reptile guy, and he just like. I don't know. I learned a lot from this guy on, like, what not to do as far as if you're trying to run a business in the hobby. But I got to, like, see it all from behind the scenes early on, man. You know, I got to watch mm-hmm. this guy kind of, like, 
chase his tail in the morph market and try to like do all this stuff. You know what I mean? And I got to kind of like see it all from his perspective for a while. And I think working up there at uh, animal medical center McKinney with Dr. Hickman really was like the big turning point where I was like, wow, like I'd already had snakes. I'd already been keeping these animals forever, but I had no idea there was a business really there. I don't know. It just never clicked. Like, yeah, I bought snakes, but I didn't think like people did this for a living. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like it never even dawned on me. And uh, I, I think a lot of what I learned, a lot of what I took from, from, you know, starting my business and stuff came from there at Animal Medical Center McKinney for sure, man, where I was, we were breeding retics, some of the first het whites and het uh, purples that had ever come out of Bob's facility. You know, we were making some of the first labs outside of Bob when they were still like $1,000 snakes and stuff. Like, uh, there was some cool stuff going on there, man, and, and it really, it got me started for sure. That's awesome. So, what is your experience like with 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 reptiles and what led to the big snakes like well what kind of drift was it always drifting towards retics or did you kind of just something lead you to it i worked at petco when i was Mm -hmm. like 16 years old man and everybody that comes into petco you know they all they buy stuff and then they just come and dump it on your store all the time and uh, Mm -hmm. there was a whole lot of like man just everything that started coming in all of a sudden i had the space at my house and i just you know, I had the room for it, so I was taking in bearded dragons, and I was taking in ball pythons, and I was taking in boas and berms and all this basically just because, you know, I figured, like, I could give it a decent home, and the store was giving me all their, like, leftover tanks and stuff, so I was getting hmm. kind of, like, compensated as well, man, and uh, I, I don't know. They didn't want all this stuff to sit in their back room, so they were kind of, like, letting me take it and, and hooking me up, and uh, I ran, like, a rescue that way for a number of years, and all the stuff that I took in, I had four different, like, high school and grade school teachers that were around that area at the time. And if it was if it was going to live, because, I mean, just to be honest, you know, a lot of the stuff is doorstepped and a lot of stuff is left. It, it's not mm-hmm. going to make it. You know what I mean? It, it's already right. so far gone. You, you just give it the best life you can for the last days it's around. Uh, but everything that would perk up and do right and act like it should, I would take all those free tanks they gave me and and all those animals and stuff, and I was just donating them to to schools that were going to science labs. And Mm -hmm. and I did that for a number of years, man. And uh, there was just a point where I was working at the center, and I started thinking about breeding, and I was doing genetic research. And, like, all of a sudden, like, I quit doing everything else. Like, I gave up, like, life. I I quit doing video games. I quit doing girls. I quit doing everything. I was just, like, on the line of reading in forums, you know, back before Facebook and stuff. I'm just, like, online in these, like, firm junkies and all that old school stuff, man. And I'm just asking questions and trying to figure out this genetic stuff. Because, I mean, like, you know, I freaking got my GED or whatever. I took a couple classes Mm -hmm. in, in, you know, Brookhaven Community College. But I'm no biologist by any means, man. So there was a learning curve there, man. For many years, I I sat online and I learned and I I studied these forums and stuff, man. And I got to where I was really comfortable with what I was doing. And I had to make a decision, though, at a certain point. Like, man, I had all this stuff. What did I want to focus on? And uh, mm-hmm. I've been waiting. This is a really long story to get where I'm going. Uh, but I've been no, you're good. For, for a green Burmese python from Bob Clark. 
And I'm not going to mention him much anymore because he fucked me and fucked that guy too. But this guy, <laughs> I've been waiting for like three years for this berm. Because like I bought all sorts of other stuff for from him. And he'd been telling me, oh, yeah, I got greens coming. I got greens coming. I go see him at this Lone Star show like every three months. And he just he never had one for me. And finally, this one Lone Star show. I always said, fuck retics, dude. Every retic I've been around to, even the ones I worked with at the shop at this point, like, were the devil. Those F2s mm-hmm. and F3s and those fresh from the jungles, they weren't very much fun to work with, man. It's of not course like not. The animals that we have, it's everything. You know, just like bloods get a bad rap and everything else gets a bad rap, but you get, like, F5, F7, F10, things start to change, especially if you got mm-hmm. a nice routine. But uh, anyway, I've been waiting on this green berm. Finally, I was, like, upset with him at this show. I was like, man, you don't have these green berms. You've been telling me you're going to have these green berms. I brought this money for you. And so he's, of course, being Bob Clark, like, desperate. Like, you've got money. I'm going to get it. How do I get this money? And fucking so, like, he pulls out from underneath his table this, like, nine-foot male tiger. And I was like, dude, I don't want a fucking retic, man. I was like, I work with retics at the shops. They're no fun. They're your retics. They're fucking evil. And he's like, man, I've really been working with this one. He's not even really for sale. I bring him out for show because he brings attention to the booth. I've been taking him out places and stuff. He's seen a lot more handling than my average animal, basically. He was like, he'll be good for it. And he hands me this, like, nine-foot retic. I'm like a 19-year-old kid. I'm like, what the fuck? It was being really good. Everything was great at the the show. You know, of course, you know, it's probably like 70 degrees in that building. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. So uh, I, I take this retic home. I say, you know what? I've been waiting forever on this green berm. We've got everything ready for this green berm at the house, but, you know, we'll, we'll go ahead. I want to snake today. He doesn't have my shit. It's been like three years. He gave me, like, a really, really crazy deal on this thing. He got my money out of me. I got this retic. We go home. It goes in the cage. And that first year with that snake, man, I learned so much. Like, I never learned so much housing another animal the way I learned that retake. I'm not going to say he was my best friend all the time. His name was Debo. Debo didn't mm-hmm. take no shit off nobody. He fucking bit me numerous times. But we learned a lot. I learned how to read him. I learned how to eventually figure out, like, all right, what pushes his buttons? What doesn't push his buttons? And even though he wasn't, like, a ball python, he wasn't your best friend you sit on the couch with and watch a movie with or whatever – I got to where me and Devo, we, like, got along. We had a real good relationship, and I never really had to earn an animal's respect like that. I guess at that mm-hmm. point in my life, since then, it's been all sorts of species. You know, I work with fucking monitors and salvators and all sorts of shit that, like, you know, you've got to really earn this animal's respect. And to me, that was one of the biggest things that drew me to retics was, like, man, this thing is allowing me to do what I'm doing with it because I've earned, I've, I've earned like, this fucking this appreciation, you know what I mean? I've, yeah. I've walked right, and I've done I've done my routine correct, and I've done right, and now this animal is letting me do do what I what I need to, you know. But definitely, it, that first year was a huge learning curve with that animal, and and it's when I really learned like the intelligence of that animal and how strict a routine is just key, man. If you're not every week is the same as the next, and and you're not in a strict routine that animal's not going to know how to act. But if your routine is strict, anything you do three weeks in a row, it's now like routine and it knows. They are, they're observing you the same way you're observing them. And I never got that out of another snake. You know what I mean? Retics are, are unique that way to me. It's awesome. So uh, obviously the one became 
many. <laughs> so oh, yeah. you know, you don't have two retics. You go one, three, twenty. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. The genetic variability out there, and there's just so much going on in that scene, man. Nobody has two retics. You, you have a dozen. It just happens for sure. And and that's with me. It went from like one. I had like three for like a year, and then mm-hmm. it just got out of control. It went to like 12, <laughs> 25. Like, yeah, I don't even know how. People ask me all the time, how many steaks do you have? And I go, uh, less than 300, more than 100. <laughs> <laughs> right around in that number. Yeah, it's somewhere in there. Yeah. No, I don't count. It's a Losers like count. Year you're talking to me. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Don't, don't, yeah. Talk to me next week. It might go up by 20. So, yeah, right. I got you. <laughs> For sure, man. So, uh, can you tell us about uh, the Ivory Connection, uh, what your focus is, and w- what do you have project-wise kind of kicking around? Absolutely, dude. So, like, the Ivory Connection all really started, man. I-, I started with Burmese pythons before I really was breeding retics and thought about even making a business out of it. I was breeding berms already, and I had already had a decent berm collection going as well. And uh, the ivory berms were just like the pinnacle, pinnacle to me at the time. And when I got into retics, I was like, man, you know, A, white snakes are always going to sell. B, I like white snakes. White snakes, black eyes, red eyes, blue eyes, I don't care how you make them. A solid white snake, it just it grabs your attention, man. Uh, and it's always going to. It's just so obscure. And it's not something you're ever going to really see in the wild. Uh, ivories have always drawn my attention, man. And and one of the things I know I've seen y'all kind of want to touch on too is like with the ivory stuff, you know, you see in the ball python scene, and even in the retic scene, everybody said it forever was like it's like this dead end project. It's not going anywhere. You know? Like you're just gonna make a white snake. Well, fucking ivory retics already. If you breed a platinum to platinum, you don't even know what kind of ivory you're gonna make. You can make a Lucy. <laughs> You can make an ivory. You can make an ultra ivory. All dependent on what type of lineage your parents have. Uh, mm-hmm. It's all about where those original imports come from, what type of superform they're going to make. Uh, and then once you start throwing extra genes on that, everybody told me right out the gate, they were like, ah, oh, man, I don't know why you want to make these ivory motleys. You're going to make a white snake. Maybe you know motleys there. And, you know, sometimes it's just the gamble you got to take, you know, like everybody can't just assume everything. Right. Uh, and, and I took the gamble, and, you know, when I hatched the very first Ivory Motley, it was hilarious to me because everybody told me, you're not going to know what you made. And the minute I cut that egg and I saw, like, a fuchsia purple snake, I was like, that's an Ivory Motley. Like, you know what I mean? It just it jumped right out at me, man. It was not the same color at all right out the egg. It only – it was an ultra. Uh, the, I've made ivory motleys, and I've made ivory ultra ivory motleys now as well. I've made ultra ivory albino motleys. Uh, I've made that ivory motley combo about everywhere you can sling it now. All world's first production. And all this because I was willing to kind of take a gamble, man. And across the board, uh, albino ultra ivory motley, it's pink. It's a solid pink snake with, like, white and, purple and, and, and yellow lateral stripes. It's not wow. a yellow white snake, you know what I mean? It's not what everybody thought it was. Oh, it's just going to be another white snake. You won't know what you made. Like, you know, I took the bet, and, and it, it paid off, man. That ivory motley, the first one, it's, I commonly refer to it in private as like the, uh, the poor man's cow. 
because it starts mm-hmm. out with a little bit of that ultra ivory freckling on the head and a little bit of that ultra ivory freckling on the tail. And three years later, it's like not even the same snake, man. It's got yellow flake coming in throughout it. It's got a whole dorsal stripe that's filled in like a cookies and cream, chocolatey looking color. It, it's, it's crazy the transformation these animals go through. And like I say, it was just all about being willing to take a gamble be willing to to go, you know, well, you know, what's it going to be? If nobody else is going to shoot for it, I might as well. And, and I got lucky and it paid off, man, for sure. And so ivory and ultra ivory stuff has maintained just like my, my center focus for sure. That's awesome. Uh, I've got other projects, you know, I, I've got, they actually proved out uh, brand new genetics last year. Um, I had a wild caught female that I've bred a few years in a row and I held something back about three years ago from her that had similar qualities to her and I ran it back. I've definitely proven a, a new codom and a new super form. I haven't wow. named it, but I haven't released the name to the public yet. I'm not going to do that until this year when I reproduce it all over again. I want to make sure that it's, it's consistent. Uh, but that pairing's already took. She's gravid. She should post off shed le- in like 30 days. Uh, we'll, we'll be looking at that clutch probably like you know March or something like that. Uh, definitely, it's a proven code on for sure. Uh, it's got a super form. I've already proved out the super form. I've got some really cool stuff laying around over here, man. As well as just like uh, I've seen y'all kind of touched on when you showed me kind of some pre-question stuff like refining genes. And mm. across the board, touching on that, it's like nobody, especially I see it in the ball python scene, like nobody just like buys the best quality of a gene anymore. Everybody goes, oh, no, yeah, that's this or that, you know, I want to buy the cheapest one I can buy because it's that gene and then I'm going to stack as many genes on top of that gene. Man, you know, like I put a whole lot of, not to blow myself too hard here, but like I put a whole lot of thought <laughs> when I really first jumped into this, like picking animals like, what the look was I wanted. Like for right, me right. personally, I, I, I like striped tigers. I like not the classic. The classic tiger's cool and all, but I like the tigers where those those dorsal spots, they connect and they make a perfect stripe all the way down the dorsal line. And if you come over to my house, like I had everybody over all the damn time, and you look at every tiger in my collection, I do not have a classic tiger in my breeding program. Every tiger in my collection has a perfect dorsal stripe all the way through and through. Eventually, whenever the hell down the line because I'm in this for the full haul you know like I'm in this for fucking life but whenever down the line eventually every tiger I'm going to make is going to have that perfect dorsal stripe I'm going to name it fucking my own lineage of tiger because they're all going to be consistently coming out that way and I feel like that line breeding and that looking for that quality look and putting it into like you know just really refining a gene to the best potential it has it's kind of been lost in the hobby man yeah I would agree Dude, you know, if you look retics, you put 10 Sunfire side by side. There's ugly shit brown Sunfire, and there is, like, bright fluorescent orange Sunfire. I don't know why anybody would still breed ugly shit brown Sunfire. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, it yeah. It should be our job to, like, pick out just don't do it. the animals. Dude, just don't do it, man. Like, why would you keep putting that back out there? Like, this gene is magnificent in its best form. Like, pick that form and roll with it. Like, don't just go buy something cheap because it's like, oh, yeah, it's sunfire, but it's fucking dirt, dude. Like, it's brown. Like, right. It's supposed to be orange. You know what I Get, mean? Like, and that's yeah. our job, I think, as breeders. is like, we should be looking at, at the best of the best, not just like, uh, let's just slap some jeans on top of each other. 
fucking, I don't know. It's, it's why my Motley Platinums are clean. My Motley Platinums always come out clean because my original sire is the cleanest of the cleanest white Motley Platinums, dude. He's amazing. Uh, that's the way you should be picking your breed stock, man. Not just any old example, like the best example. If you're going to make a project, make a project, man. Now, uh, real quick, before I know, I know you said you aren't going to tell us what the morph and the superform on us all, like all that stuff that you named it. But what was it like when you figured out that you actually had produced something brand new out there? Man, it's just like you don't even believe it. You know what I mean? I've been telling myself it's bullshit for like four years. Like ah. You know, it's probably nothing here, you know. Any day it's now. Probably just some bullshit. And then you, 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 finally, uh, you finally prove it out or whatever the hell, and you're like, man, I've really got something here. But this, the key is to be smart about it, you know. Like, this year I could have released that stuff. I've had crazy offers on those animals to some of the few people I've let see them. Uh, $20,000 fucking I'm coming down on Jesus one particular Christ. animal. <laughs> wow. But, uh, you know. <laughs> I, I can build a career out of this clutch, and I can really make something out of it, or I can sell it all off right now, and I can let everybody beat me to my combos. You know what I mean? Right. And now that sure. I've actually proven something out and it's mine, I really want to make sure that, like, I kind of control the direction that it takes, man. And that, that's that's the hardest part to me is being smart about it, not just letting it all get loose and letting everybody have it and mass produce the shit out of it real quick and crap my own damn market out, like, it, yeah. it, it's tough being smart about it, man, for sure. So I, I got that. a quick question when it comes to that. Like, how long does that process take? Forever. So <laughs> I acquired this animal as a weird, just like it just was an unusual snake that I, I picked up in a deal in 2011. And everybody and their mother told me, oh, yeah, it's just a crazy-looking normal. This odd, dark-looking normal. And I, I said across the board, I said, man, it's got these weird circular dorsal patterns, and it's darker than average. And when she fires up, she just fires up these insane colors. And there's something more here, man. And it was misrepresented to me when it was sold to me. Uh, it was just uh, an awkward deal that I acquired this animal in. So for, like, years, I had to battle, like, my own peers even tell me, like, oh, there's nothing there. You know what I mean? Hmm. And, uh... That first year when I when I produced eggs with her, I was confused at what I was looking at. I'll be honest. There were some people that got some really nice citrons and citron tigers that uh, had something extra there, man. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? It, 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 most of those people are aware at this point. I've tracked them all down. I've got a lot of pictures from those people, which has been great that I, most of that stuff was stayed here in Texas. You know, I work a lot of Texas shows, so all that kind of stayed here in my realm where I can keep track of these people. And uh, it's been nice because I've got to have, like, pictures of this new gene as it's grown up in not only my own collection, but in other people's collections, too. And and it's across the world. It's a really, it's a cool feeling to know that, like, you know, you put in the time and you put in the work. Uh, But it's been, I mean, since I acquired her, it took two years to get her to breed size at least. I produced yeah. a clutch with her that had some unusual animals that I held a few back out of. It took three years to get a male ready to fucking breed back to the female. 
the first season, I had a weird thing where, like, you know, life ain't perfect. I was in the middle of moving and doing all this stuff, and uh, I believe we proved her out that first time I ran a mail back to her, but there was only one viable egg that survived out of everything. Damn it. And it was a very unusual animal. It was definitely a titanium something because this also wild-caught female has proven for her own wild-caught line of het titanium. Um it, it was a very unusual animal, man, and, and I've still got that animal in my collection here now, but then we replicated that breeding the following season, which was last year, and I just, I've made some crazy stuff, man. That's awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. I released one to a really good customer of mine who, like, it's all on the net. He's not releasing any pictures until I start talking about stuff or whatever the hell, but they, I had I had one really good customer make me a crazy offer that I couldn't refuse on one animal. And uh, this next season, I'll be releasing females only. Uh, we'll we'll have all the details. I'll have pictures of, like, years of work, dude. Literally, like, seven years of, like, really hard work. Five years of fucking hard breeding and, and dealing with this project and being focused on, on keeping animals back that showed what I thought I was looking at and proved out, man. You know, it, it, it really – I put in the time, and uh, it, it, it it's – We'll see about June next year when I release all the information, man. I'll have five years of pictures and info. Nice. That's awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> it's it's like naming it hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a special feeling, man. It's definitely a special feeling, man. You know. Yeah. I put in the time. <laughs> That's for sure. None of this happens overnight. <laughs> And I didn't start doing this thinking I was going to make a career out of it either. I'll be honest. This was just something I started doing kind of for fun in my spare time. And, like, it just it took over my life, man, honestly. I feel like I gave my whole life to them, and they've given me they've given me a new life, man. That's awesome. Right. So is it uh, 24 hours, snakes, 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 when you're doing it full time? Is it, does it, do you feel, are you ever afraid yeah. you're going to get burned out? <laughs> Dude, you know, you have to be passionate about this. If you're not truly passionate about these animals and caring about these animals right off the get-go, you're never going to make it. Right. I'll, I'll be honest. Like, I've been taking care of large collections since I was, like, 12 years old. You know what I mean? Like, other people were paying me to take care of their collections while they worked day jobs since I was, like, 15 and 17 a side job. Uh, I'm just used to take – I ran kennels. I've ran vet clinics. I've ran pet stores. I've had I've had over a hundred animals in my own personal keeping since I was like fifteen. I'm a thirty two year old man. I'm just used to this is my life, man. I take care of animals, you know. Like uh, I don't really sure. have. I go fishing and I eat really well and I take care of my snakes. But you know what I mean? Like that's my life. <laughs> <laughs> you know, not, some people like bad, to man. travel and do stuff. Like you got to not have that in you if you want to do this. Because I can't go anywhere. I go out of town to go like work. Show fucking selling snakes for two days, and I'm having panic attacks because fucking you know somebody else got to watch after my stuff. You know, right. <laughs> like <laughs> when, when you, to be to me honestly, if you're gonna make like a career out of it, that's what it takes. You have to be able to put everything into it, and that's anything, though, man. Like if you don't put yeah. your entire self into something, you're not gonna be successful, dude. Absolutely, absolutely. So let's uh, let's talk some. Some retix 101. Uh, you know what? What are? I mean, retix are awesome when it comes to. I think just as a base snake, like no morph, no nothing. They they have to be one of the, 
you know, Dude, prettiest pythons man. out there. Yeah, you know? man, reticulated that net pattern, fucking those bright silver wow. diamonds in the sides. Even the variability in normals is crazy, man. Like, it, it's what drew me to them originally was like a base normal in those tigers, you know. All this shit wasn't right. out 15 years ago. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you're definitely right. A classic normal retic just is mind-blowing. Those orange eyes. It's killer, man. Yeah, I just started, like, really getting into looking at the localities, and it's incredible how different they are and how different they look and different colors. The widest and... range of any other snake, basically. Like, pretty much really? any island thing that goes all along. So from, like, Indo damn near to China, if there's an island floating around an ocean, there's some sort of retic hanging around on that damn thing. You know what I mean? And nice. that's where you get all the various movies from, like – they just have such a spread. Like they're, they're pretty much damn near the, the, the far coast of Africa to China. They're all along that coastline everywhere. And, right. and, you know, everywhere you find them differently, they look a little different for sure. Right. So if you wanted to get into retics, what are some of the things that you have to think about before you would get into them? Obviously the size right. is one, but what are some of the, you know, not so obvious things? Absolutely, man. Right off the bat, man, everybody has, like, this, like, theory, oh, man, I'm going to buy this monster snake. I need to get this big tank. Well, that's, dude, it's just, it's so backwards. Like, they really do that first year in these these tub setups, man. They really do best in in, in tub and rack setups that first year. And, and, you know, I think that's the hardest part is being prepared, though, for the quick move. Because everybody thinks, oh, I'm going to buy this $100 normal. You know, it's just like everything else I'm getting. Well, that $100 normal, if it's a female, dude, you're going to spend almost $1,000 probably in caging that first year. Because it's going to start in like a shoebox tub. Well, then it's going to move into a V18. Well, then it's going to move into a V32, a V70. Now you're in a four-foot cage. That female can be nine-foot long and looking at going into a six-foot cage within 12 to 18 months. That's a lot of caging if you're looking at your hundred dollar normal just cost you fifteen hundred dollars in caging. And I don't think a lot of people wow. you know what I mean? Like it, if you're a keeper like us, you know, you've got racks that you got shit sitting around, you know what I mean? Like right. mm-hmm. there's there's usually space for stuff like that. But if you're just getting into it and you're like picking up your first retick, man, if you're picking up a female, not necessarily a male, male's gonna grow much slower, male's not gonna head into, probably ever need that six foot cage if you keep him controlled and on a proper diet. But that female, man, she's going to move up, and she's going to move up quick. Uh, within two years, she's going into a six-foot cage. And like I say, if you do the math on those size tubs, uh, uh, those size cages moving up, it's easily going to cost you $1,500 really quickly in that first year or two just in caging, man. Wow. Okay. So <clears throat> so here was a question I always had. Is, is – uh... Younger retics, are they more arboreal than, say, oh, obviously, uh, than what we see in adults? Have you ever experimented honestly, with that? Honestly, males in the wild are arboreal their whole lifetime, and even females really? to a certain extent. Uh, males in the wild are predominantly living off bats and birds. They're sitting in the tops of trees. They're catching stuff coming by. They're stalking small monkeys and small vertebrates through the trees as well, but they're mostly living on bats and birds. They're flying by, and they're coming down to the ground really like once a year to breed. They're not really hitting the ground. They're mostly arboreal in the wild, your males. Your females, even up to a certain size, are going to be mostly arboreal chasing prey through treetops. This is where the prey is, man, uh, until they hit a certain size where they're like, yeah, they're eating, you know, 
deer sized prey or whatever the hell. Then they're sitting in a wall or in the mud and they're waiting for right. something to come by. But uh, your males in the wild typically are they're in their tree tops and they're an extremely arboreal snake all the way through adulthood. Okay. I mean, yeah, because I've seen like videos. I'm sure everybody listening has seen these videos of retics shooting up a tree, and it's got to be like the most impressive thing, man. <laughs> I mean, the way they climb oh, up a tree dude. is just insane, you know. Absolutely, man. They're so graceful when they want to be. You know, if you've kept firms for a while, and then all of a sudden you get around this retic that's the same size, it's so mm-hmm. impressive to see something like actually use that size well. You know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> they shoot up a tree. They, I. I you know, not recently, but in the past, I've been chased through my house by a 15-foot retake, man. Like, oh, they can definitely Jesus. move when they want to move all of a sudden. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, it's definitely an impressive feat. Okay. All right, so then tell us about, like, okay, so you're getting a, you know, a, a baby retake. What's the setup like? Like, what would you recommend as far as the setup? V18 tub is usually right off the bat, man. If you've already got a little tub and rack system going with your, you know, whatever you got going, V18 tub is usually what I start my hatchlings out. After they start a shoebox for like the first three meals, then they have to go into those V18s. It, it's a good size tub to start them out to get your tap training going. They've got room where they can move to the back for their heat. They can move to the front. They've got plenty of space starting out at least the first three or four months in that V18, man. It, it's a good place to start getting your cycle going, getting your routine started. And, and like I say, tap training is an absolute must with this species. When you open that tub, you open it with your hook. You never open your tub with your hands. You treat that tub just like an ot. Because when you open that tub, if they're, you know, not in shed, they're looking for food. When that tub opens, they will fly out, mouth open. They'll bite the side of the tub sometimes. They'll just come all the way out almost to you, mouth wide open. They're looking for food, man. They're they're probably the most food motivated animal I've, I've ever I've ever taken care of, but if you open that tub like I say with your hook and they come mm-hmm. flying out at you and you just very gently touch them on the top of the head with that hook, they go oh shit the monkey's not bringing me rats today he's just here for something else and they shoo back into the back of the tub and they curl up like a ball python and hide their head and you can pull them out and do whatever you want with them man and if you keep that routine throughout their life they will I've got. I've got a 20-foot female. If you tap her on the head with a roll of paper towel, she curls up like a fucking ball python. Like, hmm. she literally hides her head underneath her fat and hides off in the corner. That tap training is the must, man. And it kills that feed sense. It lets them know, like, food's not coming. And it's something you really – I start early. Uh, it's why, you know, all the time when I'm at shows, you know, not trying to suck my own dick too hard here, but people come up to me and they're like, oh, these fucking mean-ass retics, and I just throw retics at people at shows, man. Because all of my <laughs> stuff is tap-trained. All of my stuff is really socialized. I start the minute they come out the egg, everybody goes to the communal tub, and day one, right out the bat in the communal tub, I put my hand in for like seven to ten minutes. And day one, everybody pisses, everybody bites me, everybody shits all over the place, throws a big fit. I come back to that communal tub on day three, and there's like two or three turds in the punch bowl still, like all pissed off at me. Mm -hmm. So by the end of the week, I come in, and I put my hand in that tub, and I leave it there, and they're like, ah, it's the monkey. He brings the water. He's not doing anything. (laughs) And they're like, throws with me, you know what I mean? And I think repetition, starting on them early like that, letting them know, like, I'm not here to stress y'all out. I'm just here. And I think routine that way is it's really key. 
it's a lot of why my animals act the way they do and why I can go take to these things. That's like shows. And I, I drape them all over kids at shows. And I was at this last show. I had like a 10 foot male out there, the whole damn show. And I had them all over everybody. Uh, I had them out with like five year old girls and stuff. Dude, like people just grabbing them all over his head. Dude, he just doesn't care, man. And it's about having a strict routine and having these animals where they they know like we're not here to harm them, man. We're here to bring the food once a week, and I come and I clean the cage. And uh, I've had stuff come in that was horrible aggressive. That took me a year or more of just like all I do is I come, I clean around you, I do your water, I just never stress you out. And now I can get those animals out with company. You know what I mean? It, it's routine. It's all it is. Mm. Nice. Okay. So how does that compare to say, like, what's the ideal adult enclosure for a large retic? You know, size wise. I mean, a female is going to top out. You know, your average female is not getting twenty foot. First off, man, most of your females are topping out fourteen to sixteen foot, a hundred to one hundred and twenty mm-hmm. pounds. They do really well in six by threes, man. I think a six by three vision or Jason Miller, JPM reptilia cage, something along those lines of six foot by three foot custom built enclosures. They're really like the perfect size for your adult females, man. Now, I'm not saying they stay in there forever all the damn time. I get all my snakes out at least once a week. At least once a week while we're getting cleaned, we're coming out, we're getting stretched, uh, we're we're getting our weekly exercise or whatever it is. But if you put those animals in absurdly large cages, they don't settle in right, man. They really don't. They nose around a lot. They push until they get these abscesses in their faces. They just, like, they don't ever really settle in. It's kind of like, like a dog in his kennel is a comparison I always like to make. You know, like, this is their safe place. This is where you keep them. It's a tight zone. They've got a warm spot. They've got a cool area. They've got their water dish. But they're still getting out for their exercise every week. And I think a 6 by 3 is perfect for your average female adult. Uh, there'll be exceptions. You know, you'll have 20-footers here or there that'll get crazy. And uh, you're going to have rare exceptions like that. And, you know, I would say an 8 by 3 or an 8 by 4 is appropriate for those really big girls. But, like, even in massive facilities like Bob Clark's and some of those guys, man, you'll only find, like, a couple of snakes that break those 20-foot marks, man, that are really massive animals. And, and I don't even know that that they're healthy when they're that size. You know what I mean? Like, right. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's, that's big. Twinkie died at age 10. All the big name, big retics, they all died before 15. And these yeah. just live like 30 years. Easy, man. You know what I mean? Uh, right. Right. Sure. Wow. Okay. So what would you say as far as, so <clears throat> I have two, two questions when it comes to temps. <clears throat> one, what is the proper temps? And then two, like when you're dealing with a big snake, um, how do you handle the fact of trying to get it, uh, you know, able to heat up the entire snake and then able to cool down the entire snake? Like what's your thoughts on that? Absolutely, man. Now myself, I run a lot of ambient temp. Almost everything except for my baby racks are all ambient temperature. Uh, okay. I think one of the biggest things that you see across the board with, Almost everybody, not 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 just retic keepers, but people want to keep these snakes too warm. Uh, the, okay. They really do not do well at 89, 90, 95 degrees. Those, those higher tips, even for just a hot spot, retics don't like that stuff. If you do a Google map search, whatever the hell it is for the weather in Indonesia right now, I promise you right now, 
It's 78, and it's raining. And it's going to be hmm. that for probably ever. Like, uh, it's just like and they get a hot spike. It gets 84, 85, and it's raining and it's cool and it's breezy. These animals, I mean, they do really best for me. 80 degrees to 84 degrees in that slot, and I have kind of a swing throughout my day. You know, I, I peak up about 84 midday, and at night I drop down to, to 80-ish. In the breed season, I let them drop down to 78. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. I think cooler, cooler temps are definitely key if you're looking to breed. You know, uh, 90, 92, you're killing your sperm right off the bat okay, if you're trying right. to breed stuff. Uh, but I think cooler temps across the board seem to provide me healthier animals with the retics. Uh, 80 gotcha. degrees, 82, that's really where they want to be sitting at, man. Uh, you start getting them much hotter than 84, 85. They, you'll notice they're roaming all the time. They're pushing all the time. They're not, they're not settled well. 80 degrees, they're doing great, man. Uh, and then as far as like handling goes, um, it, it, it's, like I say, it's strict routine. That's that's the biggest thing. And with those big girls, I mean, you let them do the hard work. You point them the right direction and you pat them around and you kind of let them roam and do their own thing. <laughs> you're, not, you're not just one man picking up these girls and moving them about. You, you kind of point them directions and, and let them kind of do their own thing for the most. You make them think it's their decision, you know? <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> cool. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so... So, ambient temp. I, you know, I hear I've been hearing that a lot more. I mean, Owen, a long time ago yeah. when we started this podcast, we, mm-hmm. you know, he'll remember we, you know, we had uh, Terry Phillip on, and he was talking about how he was keeping chondros that way. It just seems like the yeah. more and more I talk to people that this is like the way, the easiest and best way to keep uh, pythons. You know. I've done under tank, I've done fucking heat panels, I've done it all. Heat panels are safe. I don't mind the rating heat panels, man. Mm-hmm. I'm so terrified of heat tape at this point, man. I've never had a personal issue. But you just mm-hmm. see everybody in collections all the damn time, dude. Ah, if I ever come home from a, you know, I'm off spending a show all weekend, and, like, I come home and everything spiked to 102 because my probe went out, I, I wouldn't even know what to do with myself. Like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. It's the end of, my, like, everything. So, like, uh, I don't know. I feel like I, the safest to me is with ambient. It, it, I've got it all on a thermostat, and it's got its own, you know, it's got its own, its own everything. I feel like I have the most control that way. I'm not relying right. on some oh, $10 probe that wears out every year I need to replace or some bullshit, you know. Uh, I sure. definitely feel like it gives me the most control of the situation. It is the safest. <clears throat> so for babies, you said you're using, you are using a, a heat spot. What's the difference? Absolutely. I mean, they're in racks, you know. So there's there's mm-hmm. across the back, back heated racks and it's heat tape on thermostats. And, and once again, I do. Whether they need it or not, every, like, year I'm replacing all my probes on my thermostats for sure. And even then, I, I'm running, like, 86 on my hot spot. You know what I mean? Across the back, it's 86 on those tubs. But it's about as high as I ever keep those guys in. Okay. And I know we're getting to breeding later on, but, like, uh, do you change? Do you, do you offer the female heat once she's gravid or it's no Not need? at all, man. The cooler you keep those females when they're gravid, the better. You let that girl get okay. 86, 88, you just nuked your clutch, man. Uh, I like to keep my gravid girls as close to 80 as possible. Okay. 
Nice. Yeah, but yeah, 80, huh. 80 is really what I'm shooting for across the board on a grabbing female. I like to just sit like 80, 80 perfect. Okay. Um, all right, so let's let's talk a little bit about feeding because I think the two things go hand in hand. Like, uh, I would imagine you're not feeding huge meals if you're not offering like a huge hot spot, right? You know, I don't feed huge meals across the board, period, myself, man. Enough to make a little lump. And, and on my biggest girls, it doesn't even really make a lump. My biggest adult females, they're realistically, they're eating four to five pound rabbits weekly. Uh, okay. There's no need to feed them anything larger or more than that if you're feeding weekly. In the wild, you know, they're going to eat like a, a large prey item and they're going to sit for months. Uh, I think weekly feeding, if, if you're feeding more than four to five pound prey items, you're just kind of you're, you're just wasting your money more than anything, and it, you're, you're just causing more waste to pick up <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I've, got, I've got 140 pound girls that don't eat more than like you know three weeks out of the month, and they're putting down like a four pound rabbit. Jesus. Okay. Now, does it change Jesus. with uh, with babies? You know, babies starting out, I try to start them out going a little hard. You know, I, I want to get them started. I want to get them on track. So, like, right off the bat, my hatchlings, as soon as they come out the egg, uh, they get their first sheds. I'm usually offering about every three to five days uh, rat fuzzy just to kind of get them rolling. And once I get the first five to ten meals in them, then I'm backing them off to every five to seven days. Uh, once they're on the small rats, then it's every seven days consistent. For sure. My males, once they start hitting like a year, I back them off to every 10 days, uh, maybe even mm-hmm. 14. My females are always eating every week. Okay. I think if I was keeping them with pets, I might cut that back even. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. My females are eating every week because they're part of a breed program. You know, my adults are going four months out of the year. They don't eat anything. So right. you know, they really pack that money weight on them. you got you got to bulk them up. But I think if I was to just keep it as a pet, I probably wouldn't feed more than twice a month. All right. So we touched on this a little bit, but, you know, I hear this a lot, and uh, I've experienced this somewhat, but it seems that Retex seem to be one of the smartest uh, species of python or maybe even snakes. Um, what's your experiences with that? Is that accurate? Yeah, or is that intelligent, man. They are hyper-intelligent, man. Like I say, in my experience, I've never had another snake that I've handled that is truly observing me back the same way I'm observing it. Now, I describe retics that way all the time, man. Even when you look at a retic in person, their eyes move around in socket. Like you can literally watch their pupils maintain eye contact with you within the socket. Your eyes are about two degrees warmer than the rest of your face. They want to maintain eye contact because it's like a predatory response. There mm-hmm. are not very many snakes you're going to handle that are maintaining eye contact with you that way. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. this animal is thinking, dude. It is thinking about you and your next move. It's literally mm-hmm. observing you the way you're observing it. It's really a unique thing. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Um, now, I guess the most important part, and you've hit on this a little bit, but, like, Maybe you can talk about the do's and don'ts of handling a retic. Obviously, the hook training you talked about, but like you know, is there any other 
pointers you can give people on like how they move? Do they move different? I kind of like combine this with like the hyper intelligence too. Like you know, whereas like most ball pythons, you can say like, oh yeah, ball python, they're all kind of alike. Or most boas, you know, they kind of have like a similar attitude and personality, and they kind of like all fall into. Retics are very unique, man. You're gonna you're gonna every one of my animals I have in my house has its own little unique personality and I'm not like crazy cat lady over here. I'm telling you like some of them don't like to to be handled a certain way. Some of them do not like you to look them in the eye. Okay. Like for real, like these animals have their quirks for sure. And it's going to be a learning experience with your individual retic, like what he tolerates of you for sure. (laughs) Absolutely. Even like the most routine animal, like there's going to be certain things he doesn't like. Uh, you know, uh, males in particular, once they hit sexual maturity, if you start to stroke on them when you pet them, like like if you were to pet it like a dog, uh, that's not a good thing, man. You get start to get this arching kind of behavior. All of a sudden, he thinks you're like another male competing with him and stuff like that. They they have unique personalities and dispositions that you have to operate around. Absolutely, uh, but it's gonna be unique to each one you own. Uh, I don't have any two in the house that, that are that are identical, honestly. They all have their own kind of little person personalities. Okay. Is there any other, like, um, if you have a retic out, let's say, and you're handling it, and, you know, is there, like, a sign or something that says that the animal is agitated? What's that? Don't do it, yeah. <laughs> Those males, right. especially when they're upset, those pupils just dilate way out, dude. Uh, it, it's real noticeable. I worked at a bird clinic when I was real young. When I was like 15, one of the first jobs I ever had, I worked at a backpack birds, and we had all these crazy uh, parrots and stuff there. And parrots and upper class reptiles are very similar, dude. There's a lot of similarities. There. Those dilating pupils are one of those things, man. Right before a parrot's going to lay into you, those eyes are going to dilate way out. Well, right before a retic's going to lay into you, those eyes are going to dilate way out, man. They get this uh, big, black pupil, glossy eye look about it. If they get that look to them, sir, you just put them back, back up. <laughs> back away slowly, yeah. Exactly, <laughs> for sure. And they all have their days. Even my nicest one here, there'll be days you'll go to get in there, and they're just not feeling it, man. Observe their behavior. Observe their body language. When they're not feeling it, man, don't force it. You know, you're never going to force any reptile to do anything. You right. know what I mean? Like, they, they have their own little mind of their own or whatever the hell it is. But if forcing yourself on these retics, like, uh, you're really not going to win them over that way. You have to win them over by not stressing them out ever. That's like the key because they don't forget. Along with that, you know, being intelligent, if you ever head grab your retic, you just made an enemy pretty much for life. Like, they Jesus. don't forget like that. Man. You know, when you, when you do something that stresses them out, it stresses them out for life. Like they're done with that behavior. Uh, and they'll let you know about it for sure. Wow. So I, I know you already talked about a little bit about the refined stuff and, you know, what, the importance that you feel that you put on refining a morph. What are the, some of the projects that you yourself have kind of really taken the next step in refining? 
obviously my ivory stuff, I'm super focused on my ivory stuff, man. You know, I make across the board some of the cleanest ivory and ivory motley combos that are, that are available. But then beyond that, my motley platinum stuff, man, like people that don't even like me compliment me on my damn motley platinum. <laughs> <laughs> now you know you've done good. Yeah. Right, exactly. You know, uh, my titanium stuff uh, that I release, because most of it I keep, because, you know, that's how it is when you're really into this. You keep all the really good stuff. But, like, my titanium stuff across the board, it's another one of them combos where, like, you know, a lot of people shit on titaniums because people just bred any old titanium, any old titanium forever, and they made all these ugly brown kind of muddy titaniums. My line, I really put a lot of focus in. I brought in Herzog's line, which was bright gold. I brought in uh, several different lines that were more your bright gold lines. There's seven lines of uh, wild-caught titanium now that have all been imported across the board. I've got five mm-hmm. of them here, and I specifically only breed, like, the gold stuff in. That's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking for that brown stuff. I left out all that. You know, I want that high gold, that bright gold. And, and I think my titanium projects across the board, when I release those animals, man, they sell for really high-end top dollar because they're not your average titaniums, man. They're not your normal $500 titanium from prehistoric pets or whatever that's brown as fuck. They're fucking bright gold with, you know, vibrant bright white lateral stripes and deep dark black uh, vertical stripes on the dorsals and the tigers. They just have that, that classic original look when they first came in. They're not all muddy. Up, man, uh, mm. I, I think those are probably the biggest things that I'm probably known for. Though is people kind of know me for my motley platinums. People definitely know me for my my ivory and my ivory motley stuff. Uh, my ultra ivory combos. It's just it's been a big focus of mine. And then uh, my titanium stuff too. Because like it's really to me, I'm not working on anything that's popular. Everything that's popular, right. I, I'm not even working on, dude. All these purple fans and marbles and. What are, I work with what I like. Right. Across the board, I work with what I enjoyed. Before I even knew there was all this crazy stuff, I just picked out the stuff that I, I really I liked looking at. And, and that's what I've run with, and that's what I really – I've tried to refine those genes, the stuff that I enjoyed. So, you know, we're not just making seven-gene new combos all the time every day over here, but we're making quality stuff out of, out of some of the shit that people forgot about, basically. Awesome. So uh, I am totally not versed in any kind of rechick genetics, and I know Eric probably is a little bit better than me, but uh, can you hit on some of the genetics for ivory, uh, you know, uh, and uh, the super form of that? Is that the platinum, or am I completely... Wrong. No, you're you're pretty much on, man. So it's All a right. weird one, though, man. So platinum to platinum can result in three different super forms. Uh, it all depends <laughs> on the original lineage of your platinum, realistically. So uh, you, with basically you've got it can make a leucistic, it can make an ivory, or it can make an ultra ivory, and it all just kind of depends on the parent. Now, if you have ultra maker, now your ultra maker, when bred back to a leucistic, will make all ivory. Your ultra maker, when you braid it back to an ivory, is going to make all ultras. An ivory bred to a Lucy maker or an ivory maker bred to a Lucy maker is going to make Lucy's and ivories. So it just it all really kind of depends on your lineage there. And the, and the kicker here is leucistics don't really do well. 
across the board, there's one guy out there, Robert Avino, who's got his own little line going or whatever that he's got, like, some Lucy's that are doing well. But across the board, most people are not shooting for Lucy Lucy combos because they have a digestive issue. And they just really, they don't survive more than about a year. Uh, They have trouble breaking down food. Uh, Your albino has proven out that way as well. But then the ultra seems to trump everything. The ultra, it doesn't matter what you do with it. Ultra ivory does well in, in albino. It does well in other combos. It seems to be the strongest. So it's almost like the more melanin you put into them, the stronger they kind of seem to become. Uh, like I say, Lucy's in general don't do well. And then you got your ivory who's got a little bit more pigment in it. They're like yellow versus just your solid white. And, and they do well, but if you start making them in albinos and stuff like that, they get kind of weak. But then your ultra, it's just across the board. It makes healthy animals. So mostly what I shoot for is ultras and ultra combos. But mm-hmm. I do have kind of a little blocking system as well. Okay. My um, ultimate goal is to back these Lucy's with something that's not going to affect the color, but will ultimately support the gene. You know so what I mean? Is, like a stronger There's a difference to tell. Like, I mean, you can tell all the different superforms look different. They don't all black. look this. Okay. Your, your Lucy is coal black eyes, solid white, no pattern, no pigment. Your ivory, it really has a lot of yellow. A lot. Of, it, it's going to grow up to be almost a solid yellow snake. Now your okay. ultra ivory has all this black pigment over the top of that yellow, like a flake that kind of comes through. They're drastically different for sure. The minute you cut the eggs, you know what you're looking at. Perfect. Um, so what was your favorite clutch out of your 2017 stuff? Probably oh, the – man. It's really hard to say, man. 2017 was a very good year to me, sir. Yeah. Uh, I had a world first ivory motley's hatch this year. I had uh, all sorts of crazy stuff, man. Yeah, obviously, I proved out my new stuff. But I, I don't know. With the new stuff, it's hard to get, like, super excited about it because I can't really be public about it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, really <laughs> I can't like, tell you. <laughs> I got you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, like, we made some crazy paradoxes this year. I made another thing where, like, I, I bred a Ultra Ivory Motley and an Ultra Ivory back to a Platinum. Ultra mm-hmm. Ivory Motley, I'm 90% sure it was the full fire of the clutch, just the way the genetics all fell out. But the way that is, everything should be platinum or ivory. Well, I made three animals that are not platinum and they're not ivory. So okay. like, that's how new stuff starts, man. I mean, uh, the only other guy I know right now that's working with any new new retic genes because we can't import anything is Eric Herzog. And that's the same thing. He bred two albinos to each other, and he made these two non-albino snakes for some reason. Like, it <laughs> genetically didn't make any sense. <laughs> well, uh, damn it. Right. It's crazy. Stuff just happens, man. That's what keeps it fun, you know? If it was all just straight math, it wouldn't even be fun. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But uh, Eric's now gone ahead. He's named that gene. It, it, it's its own thing, Spitfire, and he's waiting to prove out his super form or whatever. It, it's how a lot of this new stuff can come about is just random genetic mutation. So I did have a, have another unique thing kind of turn up that I can't call it a new gene yet, but it definitely gives me hope. And it, it's, it's a project that I'm looking forward to working with, and it's something I'm excited about, man. And that's the stuff that I really I like is the, the freaks, you know, the stuff that's not supposed to be there. Uh, right. I really like to breed like two or three males sometimes to a female, 
just because it makes your cut so much more interesting to cut, you know. There's nothing like having a two-daddy or a three-daddy clutch. You've got 30 eggs, and you're trying to figure out who sired what. You know, <laughs> like, that's just fun to me, you know what I mean? Uh, that's that's why I breed this stuff, because I enjoy it, and I, I have a good time with it, and it, it keeps me on my toes. And If it was all just straight square business, like, oh, I burned the purple to a purple, I made it a purple, like, I, I, that's just not even fun to me. <laughs> you know right, I mean? be boring, right. Sure. If it's not a one in sixteen, I'm not even shooting for it. Like flat out. <laughs> gotcha. So now, do you um, uh, how do you how do you do the eggs? Do you maternal incubate or do you kind of uh, pull them I away? No, I definitely pull them away and I incubate on my own. Um, the retics do pretty well maternal incubation. The hardest part about maternal incubation with a retic, females in a six foot enclosure. How the hell you keep a big ass six foot enclosure like eighty ninety percent humidity for like yeah. three? That's a whole lot of work, man. You know what I mean? Uh, I definitely trust my incubators a whole lot better than I do trusting trying to keep this cage just right and perfect. You know, uh, my incubator's been pretty good to me. I haven't had any issues with them, for sure. That's awesome. So now that we're kind of getting down to the two thousand eighteen stuff. What's your most anticipated project coming out of 2018? I got pure mocha stuff coming out, which I think is going right. to be really cool. It's like Mochino to Mochino is going to make these pure mochas. There's only two like original pure mocha imports that ever came in originally. Sal, I know, has some pure mocha stuff and has made some, but I don't think anybody's released them to like the public yet. You know, Mochinos are everywhere, but the pure mocha. I don't think anybody has really sold that out to like the average man. So I'll be releasing mochas to like the normal, the normal people these this year. That 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 to me is a really cool project. Uh, it's going to open up a lot of doors for future projects too. Uh, my whole reason for getting into Orange Glow and Mochino were both to pull out the Indo Caramel and to pull out that mocha and play with those genes because it, it, you just don't see them yet. You know what I mean? There's not a lot of those combos out. There's not a lot of that stuff out there yet. Uh, that's probably one of my more exciting clutches that I have, but I got a bunch of stuff working this year, man. All my 2012s are going. So like, no, really? I really got into the three tick breeding stuff in like 2011. I started building my collection. 2012, I went crazy and just bought all sorts of shit. Well, all my 2012s are finally going this year. So that's just cool to me because all these little worms are now like 14 foot beasts and they're about to fucking finally do some cool stuff for me and it's it's like it's like dreams that i've had for like five seven years now are finally kind of coming full circle now for sure awesome i mean i i love it when you grow like you know hold backs up and now they're finally breeding and you're like damn like i raised this thing's grandparents like that is the There's thing that gets me yeah it's awesome People ask me, like, what my ultimate goal is with this a lot of times, and that's where I always come down to is, like, when I can walk in that snake room and everything that's part of my breeding project is something I produced and is now grown and breeding again, like, when it's all, like, fuck, I made all this, yeah. I don't even know what the hell I'm going to do with myself at that point. <laughs> <laughs> this was all me. <laughs> it's like, yeah. that's, that's, like, the goal. You know, that's where we should be trying to get get it to where, like, you know, your breed program is, is, is nothing but the best of the best, man. It's stuff that you really worked hard for, for sure. That's the whole point, yeah. So, um, now, uh, your thoughts on the retic market, uh, do, do you think it's improving? Do you think it's kind of 
always been steady? Uh, you know, where, where do you think you know, it's at right now? It's kind of funny, man. You know, there's a lot of people producing right now. I would say this year, this last year, I've seen a lot more production just from, like, uh, individuals, not like your big guys or whatever. I've seen a lot more individuals this last year producing. The Internet's flooded with ads and whatnot. And I will say my Internet sales are kind of down this year uh, across the board. But my word-of-mouth sales and my local business is better than it's ever been. And I think no matter what, like, that's all it is, dude. It's not about the market. It's about putting in your time paying your dues, if you stick this out for four or five years and you're really making consistent product and you're dealing well with your customers and you're giving quality customer service, the business is going to build itself, man. It's just it's going to take you four or five years to get that ball rolling that way. And and mm-hmm. once again, it's no matter what you do, nobody starts up a business tomorrow and just jumps off rolling. But uh, I think with the retics, that's a big thing. you got to let these people know, A, you're not just out here mass producing these animals because you're trying to get rich. Because there's a bunch of people out here that are just trying to get rich and they never hear successful at anything. Those guys <laughs> crash and they, they flop like immediately, man. You right. gotta show them that you really give a fuck about these animals, man, and that you really give a fuck about your customers. Uh, and it's something that I think the big boys have kind of lost. You know, like uh, you don't see the big guys going off their facilities hardly and showing their cages and then working with their animals and daily pictures of the stuff that you're waiting on, pictures right. of lockups. And like, man, I show pictures of my animals almost every day. I got nothing to hide over here. I think that's a huge thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, my life's an open book. I let everybody know, like, I this is what I do and I do it 24 seven. It's, it's a big difference, man. And so as far as the market goes, I think the market's solid. If you're producing a quality product and you know how to market yourself and you know how to like really give a shit about these animals and not just care about, you know, making the next newest big thing, you have to really be passionate about it. You have to really mm-hmm. give a shit about the animals because the people are going to see through, you know what I mean? Like if you don't care about these animals, the, the people are going to see through that immediately. Like that's, it's, it's quick <laughs> for sure. Right. So yeah, uh, we I do have a question. Solid if you put in the time. <laughs> if, you, if you actually work. Yeah. Okay. I got you. So um, we have a question from Chris at mystic reptiles. Uh, he would like to know what, if any impact that the recent retic ban has had on uh, sales as well as, you know, just basic business uh, over the past couple of years? And has it set you back at all? And has it messed, messed you up at all? So I have a unique standpoint on, like, the band. A, the band's lifted. Like, yeah, we still can't import yeah. from out of country, but, you know, across states we're back to normal. But uh, during that whole period, you know, I was breeding retics before the band. I'm still breeding retics after the band. It's odd. I was in a weird place being in Texas, which is like mm-hmm. the number one or number two reptile community state in like the whole country. I think California may have like got a neck and neck or whatever, but there's not a whole lot more reptile show sold in another state outside of that. It's a huge community here. We have like 30 shows a year. There's like five different groups that run shows all over the state. There's just a massive market here. And so it was unique to me because all of a sudden I had that massive market almost all to myself. Uh, 
Uh, right. There are not a whole lot of people doing what I do in the state of Texas, and there's nobody really doing what I do at the level that I do in the state of Texas. There's a bunch of hobbyists, a bunch of guys that do this kind of like on their side job, but this, this is how I pay my bills. This is all I do. I don't do anything else. Uh, I do retics and a little bit of berms, a little bit of bloods. I've got some panther chameleons and beaded lizards and caimans and shit, but retics pay my bills. It, it's really my job. And so during this ban, it was cool for me because, like, Bob couldn't sell here anymore. Mm. Fuck, dude. Bob sold, like, 1,200 retics a year through the state. You know what I mean? He was, right. He was moving a lot of fucking animals down here where I got to kind of fill the gap on that. Uh, prehistoric pets couldn't sell retics to Texas anymore. Nerd couldn't sell re- These big names, which are who everybody usually would run to, they couldn't sell them anymore. So it was like this crazy starved market. And I didn't rape nobody. Like, there were a lot of people here, too, at the same time that were, like, you know, flippers that were getting stuff out of town or buying out their little local guy or whatever to flip or whatever it was that were turning around, and they were trying to get, you know, five times market value out of a snake because they were like, oh, well, it's limited market now. Well, you had a really hard time doing that in the state of Texas if you were setting up at a show next to me because all my prices stayed the same pre-band, during-band, after-band. Uh, I'm wow. 25% of the market across the board. Uh, I, you know, I know I'm still, even though I've been doing this for like five, almost six years now, uh, really consistently, I still consider myself the new guy on the scene, man. You know, I, I don't expect people to come spend the top, top, top. I don't have a name. I'm not Bob Clark. I'm not fucking Jay Brewer. I'm not Kevin McCurley. I don't have a name to sell. So I, I do shoot across the board. I'm under those guys, man. And I, I stayed, I stayed true to those prices throughout the band. And I think it's why a lot of my customers not only stuck with me, but, but it's, it's, it's developed and it's really snowballed. Now, even after the ban, my local people don't go nowhere else, dude. Like, if yeah. you bought a retic off of me, I'm not trying to – I said this a couple times, but I'm not trying to suck my dick too hard here. If you bought a retic off of me, chances are likely you don't buy from anybody else ever again. Because, like, I'll answer my phone at 2 in the morning to help you. I'm here all the fucking time. My animals act the way I say they're going to, man. I I'm, I just – my customer service can't be fucking beat. I, I hang my name on that, man. And uh, I think that's a big part of it for sure. So post-band, I haven't lost any customers. But it mm. has been a little different because there is – you know, I go to shows now, and now there's, like, seven vendors I'm competing against. Uh, you know, right. where there was nobody for a while, or there was one or two for a little bit. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's a competitive industry. Uh, I've had to drop some prices at shows, and I've had to run some specials and stuff to kind of, like, keep the market space for, for new people. But uh, my my true blues, my guys that are with me, you know, I've had customers for the last five years that, like I say, they're not going nowhere else, man. I, I've built a solid, a solid marketplace for myself. Now, do, do you think that it also kind of helped – that Texas is such a huge state that, you know, you had. If I was in Maryland and that fucking van went in the I'd have been fucked. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 100%. I won the Texas lottery. If I was in Florida right now, I'd be working at a vet clinic and I'd have some... (laughs) (laughs) I got really lucky when I lived in the state it was definitely a good thing for me. That 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 is that is awesome that you recognize that and 
you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, I probably would have had to got rid of everything I had and gone and work two day jobs just to like keep my pet. You know, no. like, Jesus. <laughs> uh, I, I'm not delusional. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, all right, let's uh let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about let's how you breed them. Um I'm very curious about it since you're doing the ambient temp, like what's the trigger and how how do you start your breeding season? Man, I breeding, do a I do some night drops. I start getting my nighttime tents down to like 78 at night. But it's really, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's our whole hobby. It's all about observation, man. 90% of what I'm doing over here is I'm just watching these females, and I'm waiting for them to tell me what to do. That's really all it is, man. When I start to cool down, when I start to get near that breed season, I really pound my girls heavy for about a month. You know, I, where I'm saying, you know, typically I'm feeding them a three or four pound meal every, you know, seven to ten days. I might hit them every five days. I might double up some meals here or there. Right before I'm trying to get a breed, I'm hitting those girls heavy, man. But that's going to allow them to really let me know what's going on. All of a sudden, that girl's going to turn off food when she's beginning to get ready. She's going to come up to that window one day. I'm going to have that four pound rabbit. She's going to go, ah, no, you know, I'm not interested in that. That's really when I know she's starting to think about, like, all right, cycle might be getting here. Uh, The next thing you're looking for is for her to just coil tight and hang out on that cold side, man. Yeah, I'm ambient temp, but realistically, there's like a two to five degree range around in that room. And you can tell when they're really hugging that back wall and they're trying to push up against that back wall where it's a little cooler and sometimes they'll mm-hmm. even flop their whole side of their body up on the side of the wall or on that back wall. That's a female who's really trying to cool herself down. Uh, she's prepping herself with follicle development. Follicle development's the next stage. You know, you're looking for a bloat. All of a sudden, this girl who had an eight, three, four, five weeks, six weeks or whatever is just going to have an unusual bloated look to her. That's follicle development. That's like, all right, get the boys ready. It's almost that time. Like, she's getting there. Uh, I usually start, once I see that first little bloat, I start getting my boys in there, but I don't really expect to see a lockup yet. You know, they're just kind of getting in there. They're arching around. They're having the behavior. But she's really not letting them, letting them in the door yet. <laughs> okay. So uh, shortly after that, after follicle development, they load up, they go down, they'll usually go through a shed cycle. Then I would say two weeks after you see that initial bloat, you start getting your lockups, man. And for me, the best thing is random introduction. Uh, mm-hmm. I cycle that male in. If he locks up with her, great. As soon as he's done, I pull that male out. I leave him alone for a day or two. He gets a small meal, and he goes back in again. Every time I see a lock, as soon as they're done, that male comes out again. If you leave these male retics in with these big girls like that, they're going to go lock up, they're going to breed, then they're going to sit in a cold corner and wait because they pretty much they're like, all right, my job's done here. I need the next piece of ass. Their job in the wild right. <laughs> is to spread those genes as far as they can spread those genes. They're not locking mm-hmm. up with one girl you know what I mean? Now, they're not smart enough, I don't think, to figure out that you, you keep pulling them and putting them back in. They're like, ah, new pussy. You know what I get better locks, more locks, quality locks by, by doing this introduction method. And, uh, you know, occasionally I'll have stubborn male where I want the lock or whatever. So I'll throw another male in there that I'm not really wanting to breed, and I'll just leave him for a while. And uh, whenever I, you know, 
get a shed or whatever like that, I'll usually take a, an opposing male shed and I'll leave him in those cages. And then when you put your main guy back in there, he's like, oh, shit, somebody been over here messing with my pussy. And he's all about <laughs> it, man. If you've got that other male sitting there and that little bit of shed, well, you put your one guy back in and he's just all over it, dude. It's definitely there, there's a competition for spreading those genes around, uh, but that's that's a huge part of it. Um, after that, man, it's coitus, coitus, coitus for three or four weeks, and you're waiting on your next big bloat. Your next big bloat's your ovulation. Your ovulation basically looks like your snake ate a dog, but your snake hasn't ate in three months. You know, <laughs> it's right. like this massive pull <laughs> girls. You know what I mean? Uh, uh-huh. About a third of the way down, it's just it, it's very obvious in most uretics, man. Especially if it's a smaller girl. When they blow up with those ovulations, man, it's like, whoa, what the fuck happened? At that point, male's done. Quit doing introductions. Let her cycle on through. She's gonna have a post-ovulation shed a few weeks later. Uh, 35 to 37 days for me is pretty average post-op shed delay. Uh, about 35 days, usually they drop those eggs on me. Now, I've had them drop on day 27. I've had them drop on day 49. I've had some different <laughs> stuff happen. But 35 to 37 is pretty average. I've got one on 39 right now, and she just shed again, and she's breaking all the rules. So all this, like, there's a guaranteed that's this, and it's going to be this. And then, yeah, throw that all out the window. This is not a perfect science. But uh, right. most of them, 35, 37 days, they're going to drop in. And then uh, then the, the just hurry up and wait. That's the whole name of what we do. So that after you've done all this waiting, you put those eggs up, and then you got 84 long days of incubation. I don't think that's the case with any other snakes that I know. <laughs> like, yeah, you motherfuckers, if you fall pythons with your 56 days, you know, go fuck yourselves. So fucking 84 <laughs> days, fucking. It's just insane. Wow. Retarded weight. Um, but it's it's all worth it, man. It, it's really, it's a long process. It's a lot of, like, I do five minutes worth of work, and then I wait for three months. You know, work, <laughs> <laughs> and then I wait for three weeks. You know, like it's a lot of hurry up and wait, man. It's a lot of having patience. Uh, if you're not a good fisherman, you're probably not going to be a good retic breeder. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> so, what about if you're if you're not seeing any action? Is there any tips you could give to try to get them to get going? That's the either male or female. Feed that female heavy. Most people trying to breed anything, except for fucking people, but you don't feed that female <laughs> heavy enough, man. Like, uh, they're just, you know, fucking, whether it's they, they can't afford to or they just they're not wanting to feed more than one week or whatever it is, you got to put that mommy weight on these girls, man. I, you know, mm-hmm. in the wild, they're going to not breed unless they're at a certain weight. They know what their bodies need in order to produce a hearty, healthy clutch. If things aren't right, these girls aren't going to fucking cycle. And I think fat content and having, a, having a, a good feed schedule is a big key, man. Almost everybody I know that's not successful, when I start talking to them about their feed schedule, they're like, oh, yeah, you know, I feed her a three-pound rabbit like every other week. Or, oh, yeah, I feed her a 10-pound rabbit once a month. Like, well, yeah, that keeps her a nice maintenance weight. And that's fine for a pet. But that's mm-hmm. not going to bulk them up to where they're going to want to cycle and breed. You know what I mean? Uh, I think that's a huge key for the females. And then the males, 
your boy wants to go at 12 months, dude. Like, 12 to 18 yeah. months, those boys, just, they just know what to do. There's there's really nothing to them. The key is getting that female to size, getting her uh, not only just the size, man, mature. Everybody thinks, you know, oh, I'll just get her big, and in three years she'll go. Well, everybody and their mother tells me they breed retics at three years old. I can't get one to go before four and a half or five, and I feed the piss out of my snakes. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be four years before that girl goes, man. Uh, that's, that's patience, man. You're going to have to put in the time if you're going to – or you'll put up the money. You know, uh, when when I first got in and I bought all these crazy high-end genetics and I was getting really going and I had, like, three jobs at the time and I was building my snake collection up and everything, one of the biggest things I realized that first year, I was like, fuck, I'm going to have to wait, like, five years before any of this does anything. So I went out and I found like three or four nice proven breeder females that those first three years, man, I wasn't making crazy stuff. I wasn't making wild new combos. I wasn't making anything extraordinary, but I was making two to $500 animals that bought my cages. They bought more genetics. They bought all my speed. They paid for everything. I didn't put any more of my money back into these animals because I did invest in some larger adult females to kind of get started. Uh, I don't think there's anything wrong. With it. I've caught flack for that. There's people that told me from day one, all oh, this guy didn't put in his time. He just went out and bought some adults. Well, fuck. I was just fucking smart, and I was like, I don't want to have to work two jobs for fucking ever to feed these assholes. I better get something going, you know? Right, right, so, exactly. I mean, that should be a part of it too, man. If you don't have the financial income and you're looking at making this like a main focus, it's going to be three to five years before those girls really get going. It can't be your game plan unless, like, you really got a lot going on, man, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've seen some pictures uh, of uh, – I don't know where I saw – I think I saw a float around on Facebook recently about uh, a male, I guess, that was put in with a male, with another male, which is like oh, a no-no. Oh, yeah, that one. Their head was all carved up. Absolutely. Males in breed mode, they're highly aggressive with each other. Uh, they're, they're highly aggressive with anybody that combats against them during that breed mode cycle, man. When they're arching and – and, 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 you know, getting crazy like that, male on male, you can't have them together at all. They will fuck, fuck their day up, man, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, I know I've seen the picture talking about, um, for sure, that, that's what it looks like to me. You know, male bit him right on the head, drug across. These retics, man, uh, male bites when they're like that in that mode. They commonly, you know, snakes have like two bites, basically. There's the mistaken identity for food. They bite, they wrap, they realize you're not food, they come off of you. Or there's like the, I'm backed in a corner, I'm slapping at you basically. It's just a quick fucking one time, just like, ah, leave me alone. You know, that, that, those are typically the two bites you have. Retics, especially males, they have a third bite, man. It, it's crazy. And I've had a couple of them get me this way in the past. Fucking, usually it's a young male, and it's, it's it's a bite where they clamp down on you, and then they kind of shake and thrash their head and tear. It's Ooh. not mm. a normal bite. They're out mm. like that. And it's almost always it's a male, and it's a male in that breed mode displaying his, like, breed aggression because that's him telling another male to go fuck off, basically. 
but it is. It's a different kind of bite. They clamp down, they thrash, they tear, and they, they, they'll leave large wounds. Absolutely. Yeah, we're talking stitches, I would imagine, right? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Wow. Okay. All right. So, uh, <laughs> this is how I the jungle. I love my animals, and I've got a lot of stuff that's uh, what I would call handleable and easy to work with, but man, you got to know them. You you don't just like go get any old retic out and hand it off to your buddy. You really got to know these animals. You got to have them in a strict routine. Uh, you got to be able to recognize those signs. Those breed aggression males, they don't just lash out out of nowhere. I mean, they're going to give you right. some signs. Warnings, you know, yeah. Those eyes are going to be dilated out. They're usually going to be already open mouth showing you their mouth like, fuck you, buddy. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, they don't just, like, lash out out of nowhere. They're the devil. Like, they let you know. The last thing they usually want to do is bite you. They want to put on a big show. They want you to just right. leave the fuck alone. Uh, but, you know, you have to be prepared. This is, like I say, it, it, it definitely, there's no no doubt in my mind, a large female could kill a human and no fucking problem because you're going to eat you, but they could definitely fucking kill you. They could definitely fuck your day up. Um, I've had some close calls myself, man, you know, fucking, uh, it, we, anybody who works with these animals long enough, you're going to have an incident or two here or there. But uh, it's all about, like I say, strict routine, and then knowing what to do in case of an incident. Having a good medical kit around is always a good idea if you're working with any type of large reptile, uh, for sure. Okay. Wow. Anything? Is there uh, anything you would do to, uh, you know, I've heard some people use the rubbing alcohol, regular alcohol, water, anything? Sure. like if The old saying is a shot of Jim Beam for him and a shot for me, right, to get it to come <laughs> off. Yeah. Of yeah, get them off and then drink the bottle. Yeah. But uh, usually, even in that mistaken identity bite, especially the retakes, man, they usually figure it out pretty quick that you're not really what they were after, man. Uh, I haven't been hit like that in a long time. Every time I get hit like that, it's not from adult stuff. It's juvenile. I'm in a hurry. I'm going and doing water bowls, and I'm pulling these tubs open with my hand, not using a snake hook. I'm breaking my own protocol, you know what I mean? Right. I got to do. I got to water these snakes real quick. Like it's never, it's never like I just, oh, I just flung open my big 18 footer's cage and she got me. Like you know what I mean? (laughs) Jesus. But you definitely, once again, routine is everything. You know, when you break your routine, you're gonna you're gonna be in for trouble, for sure. Right. These animals, they're creatures of habit. They they want a strict routine. They're no different than your children at home. Like they just you got to put them in a routine and they'll fall in line. Right. Okay. Um, so what about as far as the eggs? Uh, are they where do they fall into as far as python eggs? Are they sensitive? Like say yeah. blackhead or walnut eggs or are they? They're, they're no Mario. They're, they're, they're no more fucking. They're, they're no uh, you know GTP eggs or nothing like that. <laughs> You're not like putting foot fungus powder on them and duct taping them up, you know. Right. <laughs> like, they're really they're pretty durable, man. And you know right off the bat within like the first four days of putting them in that incubator if they're viable or not. You know, in a large clutch, you're gonna have one or two infertile eggs usually. If there's like thirty or forty of them, then there's gonna be a dud egg or two in there typically. And usually, you can open up the incubator door and you smell it on like day three, and you just chunk him out, and the rest are good to go. 
so long as your moisture content's good in your incubator, I mean, they're pretty damn tough, man. They they don't right. dimple in from a drop of water or none of that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So uh, I I didn't I I didn't ask you this, but when you're setting them up, are you putting them straight in like uh, vermiculite, or are you using uh, the water well, above the water everything. type of thing? Oh, sure, okay. man. I, I've done it all, man. I've, in the past, I've tried every way you could. I've done just berm. I've done just perlite. I've done the hatch right. I've mixed them all certain ways. I've done the. I never found any difference in any way that I did it. So, like, like literally, I had the same success rate across the board any way I tried it. But now I'm just old school. I just throw it all on top of fucking perlite, and, and we roll, man. Uh, I get my perlite most moist enough that I can plump it up but not drain water out of it. And, uh, you know, that that's good to roll usually. Anything you have to do as far as, like, I would imagine that, you know, the size of those eggs – and as they get close to hatching, you know, as they start to heat up, is there anything you have to do as far as adjusting temperatures or anything when it comes to that? Or Not at all, man. I'll be honest. I run my incubator a little cool these days. Uh, okay. Honestly, I'm usually – my stuff's not hatching out until, like, on the later end of stuff. Some people have stuff hatching on, like, day 75, 76, 78. My stuff, usually mm-hmm. I'm cutting on day 84 just to kind of peek in, make sure everybody's looking good. And they're usually not out until like day night. But, uh, you know, most people run an incubators 89, right on the, right on the dot or whatever. I'm cooking around 86 these days. When I was cooking okay. on the hotter end of things, I was seeing more kinks, more one eyes, more issues. Uh, when I cook on the cool end and I wait a little longer on stuff, I've like almost eliminated all of those issues, man. It, it seems like heat is really a key factor to, you know, like uh, you know, problems like that, especially mm-hmm. like deformities, uh, kinks, especially seem to be heat related. You know, it, it, it's it's funny. I saw, uh, I don't know where I was thinking about this, but um, one of the things that pops into my head is like when we think of keeping pythons and all, they live in, you know, all these, you know, tropical rainforest and, you know, the Australia desert and all this kind of stuff. And it's like hot, you know, but like, uh, for the most part, those snakes are coming out at night when it's cool. Right. So they're, Absolutely. they're trying to escape the heat, you know, <laughs> I mean, Absolutely. they have to heat up obviously, but you know, they really don't want to oh, be in constant heat. Sure. It's no different than everybody thinks their desert animal needs to live like in this dry desert sand environment. Like, no, those fucking desert reptiles still dig down. They find moisture. They find humidity. They find cool areas. You know what I mean? Like, uh, across the board, reptiles, what do they want to be? They want to be like, you know, 80 degrees and fucking humid. Right. They're going to find what they need in those environments. Right. Right. For sure. Absolutely. All right. Um, so when it comes to breeding berms, do you follow the same recipe as you do with uretics? Man, yeah, for the most part, it's pretty much the same recipe, dude. Just like my berms are so much more prone to URIs and issues and stuff. And the minute they start getting funny, you just, you take them off breeds. Everything's breeding berms is like this easy thing. They're probably one of the more difficult species that I've worked with just because they're so URI prone from any kind of stress. Man, the temperature gets a little funny. 
just having a male in with a female for too long will stress her out and get her to have a URI sometimes. Wow. Like, it's so URI prone. It's something I don't ever hear people really talk about, but it's like, it's why we don't see a whole plethora of big, huge adult birds these days, man. Almost all of them, I think, are dying of fucking upper respiratory infections three to five years old. Uh, I think growing them way too large and keeping them in small environments where they can't really exercise is a big part of that. Mm-hmm. Your birds, one of the biggest things people don't realize, they have a different type of lung set up. Their lungs are running front to back. They're, they're not running side by side. So the way they're running, when they get those deep URIs and it gets in that secondary lung, there's a trait in between them, and it's trying to hop that stuff up in between from that back lung to that front lung to that thin trait tube. Almost every berm that I know of that fucking dies dies from a URI because they get the blockage in their trait tube, basically. It's cutting off you know, all their airflow. Uh, it, and other snakes, they're much more, uh, what is it, uh, able to get well, I guess, you know, from antibiotics and stuff like that, because they can clear their lungs all the way out, but I think those berms with that, uh, uh, having trouble coming up with the word, the vesticular, I believe is the way they call those the vesticular lungs, where they run from yeah. the back that way, it just, it doesn't allow that fluid to really drain back out right for them to really ever heal. Once it gets deep and secondary, it's just a matter of time till a mucus plug is going to put them down, man. Uh, but other than that, it's pretty much across the board the same. Just every year, I pretty much I shoot for like four or five girls to go, and every year I consistently have one or two burn clutches just because as soon as they get any sign of the sniffle, I kick their heat on them, I put a little secondary heat source on them, and I get them back over that stuff. It's not worth me losing an animal trying to get a clutch for sure. Yeah. Jeez. No, super URI prone. People don't talk about this. No, they don't. URIs and burns go hand to hand. Yeah, I've heard that. And even with uh, specific, like, certain genes are even worse, right? I mean, no, uh, it seems I've... like the granite stuff is almost a little more, um, you know, it's a little more hardy than the rest. But uh, mm-hmm. definitely your eyes and stuff is super URI prone. Your, your hypos. Almost every, I don't know anybody. I'm pretty sure my F1 hypo was like the last of the big, she went down. And she died from like a cyst that was attached to her spine that made her go neurological or something. Damn. Like, all, all of those original F1 and F2 hypos, they're all gone now from, from URI. They just, they didn't make it. They didn't do right. And all the F1 ivories were pretty much the same way. I, I think the more we breed out away from the original parents, I think we'll make those genes stronger and a little bit more, a little bit more hardy, hopefully. But uh, mm-hmm. definitely, man, it's just like granites in the wild are found at a higher elevation. So they seem to be a little bit uh, less susceptible to this URI stuff, but everything else is very susceptible to URI. Okay. All right. So is that what you're working on? I mean, is that your big uh, berm projects is mostly granite stuff? Man, I make a lot of granite stuff. The last couple of years, albino granites and granites have been a huge focus of mine. This year, I'll have crazy shit, though. This year, I, I should have blizzards and uh, pearl granites, uh, ivories, greens, green granite. I should have just a little bit of everything this year. I won't have any labyrinth. I won't have any caramel. But pretty much any way you can mix any other berm I should have this year. 
Cool. That's awesome. You finally, you finally got your green. You finally got the green. Yeah, you got to make it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did finally get it. Yeah. I've got a, I've got a couple greens, man. I've got an albino green. I've got a, I've got a, what is she? She's a quarter dwarf green from Tom Regan. That's a 2011 girl. It's one of my prides in my collection. I've got way okay. more expensive animals in the house, but I love that snake more than anything, man. She just uh, <laughs> it took me forever to get a fucking green bird, dude. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Some things are worth the wait. For sure. Yeah. Nice. Um, go ahead, Owen. Cool. So now we got a couple closing questions. And Yo. they're a little bit weird, but all right, the better. Exactly. So, what is your <laughs> next reptile purchase going to be? Man, I don't purchase a lot these days. I've got a lot here, dude. To be honest, <laughs> <laughs> I make my own stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I held back like thirty-two animals this year. Jesus. That's really fucking hard to do. Yeah. It pretty much keeps me from buying any more snakes uh, for a little bit, at least, uh, until I expand on my shop or something. But uh, I will say I, I've got a, a pretty little healthy panther chameleon collection I've been kind of adding to. I've got some nosy poly stuff and uh, some uh, and hollows, so I've been kind of building on my little my little project there. I'll probably bring in some more females to bulk that up. Um, I've Huge on the crocodilians lately, man. I, I've got some dwarf caimans here, some covey oh, ears, nice. some diamonds. Um, I've got a big, like, five-foot diamond female. So I think she's probably about the biggest diamond female around. Uh, I've got uh, some more left crocodiles. So these days, that's kind of the direction I'm more more going leg things here lately. I've been buying, uh, like I say, a lot of crocodilians. I would really like a pair of Siamese next. Siamese crocodiles would probably, if, it, if I'm going to buy anything next, that's, that's on my agenda that I'm not like actively looking for, but if they just uh-huh. stumbled out in front of me, I wouldn't refuse them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. That's yeah, but some awesome. Siamese crocodiles would be amazing. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that, they're gorgeous. That's awesome. So... The next one is if you could work with any species of reptile without any limitations, whether it be money, the law, anything, what would it be and why? I mean, not to sound hokey, but I kind of already do, man. I've worked with it all, and I wound back with these retics, dude. Like, there's not much more I enjoy working with than a reticulated python. Like I said, that bond that I've built with them, the time that I've put into these animals, it's just, I, it's a special feeling, man. I, I honestly feel like, like, like I said, like I gave my whole life to these animals and that they've really given me a brand new life, man. Like they truly have. They, they brought me back from, from a place I didn't think I was coming back from. Uh, a reticulated python is like the pinnacle to me, man. I, I enjoy my crocodilians. I enjoy my chameleons. I enjoy working with all sorts of other stuff. I would love to have a, 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 a croc monitor maybe again one someday. I took care of one for several years at, at another company. But, like, really, at the end of the day, these retics, man, they're the BVs for me, man. It's it's my passion. It's my life. It's, it's all I do. Jeez. All right. So, obviously, if you could travel anywhere in the world – where would you want to go, and if you went herping, what would you want to see? I mean, like, Indo is a pretty big 
So I would love to see like most of like Indonesia, Malaysia, the island chains around there, and not just for the retics because like all that's over there is fucking reptiles. Like there's more yeah. reptiles over there than got people. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know what's going on over there, dude? I would love to see, though I might be terrified of it, like a cross monitor in its natural environment, like Jesus. fall out of a tree and like whip a fucking buffalo to fucking death with its tail or something. You know, I read about all this. And I would love to see that. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, right. uh, uh, I'm a little terrified, you know, less about the animals and more about the plants. You know, I've read a lot about it in place. Fucking, I, I do a lot of study on, on the, that area, and, and everybody that I've talked to that's been there, they all say it's not the critters, it's the plant life that'll get you. Everything's named like buzzsaw ivy, chainsaw oh. tree. Like, oh, God. Like, <laughs> Like, it's all got spikes and thorns and grabs you. Supposedly the brush is, like, what you're really afraid of. <laughs> but I think an endo wow. would be fucking amazing. That would be awesome. Yeah, that would. So, what, uh, how would people get in contact with you if they want to talk up some retics, if they want to pick your brain, if they want to jump on some of these 2017, 2018 babies you're going to be producing? Uh, how would they get in touch Absolutely. with you? Man, you can hit me up at the Ivory Connection as a Facebook page. I'm kind of working on a website, but I'm kind of like, uh, there's a part that doesn't like the idea of a website for retics because I don't want everybody and their mother to just, oh, yeah, add the cart and be able to get a retic. I screen my customers really hard, man. I, I want mm-hmm. full lifetime expectancy homes for my animals. And, and I can honestly say in the last, like, five years, Less than like a dozen have like been like traded around and thrown up or didn't make it to the right fucking you know whatever the hell. Uh, so I try to really make sure I have one-on-one contact with my customers. Uh, contacting me on my business page on Facebook is, is a great way to do it. The Ivory Connection. Uh, I have several Facebook pages unfortunately that were hacked because the retic business is a very competitive business and I have a lot of haters. So do not try to contact me at any Ryan Sullivan business pages. They've all been hacked. I don't operate those anymore. Uh, Ivory Mon King is like this alternate name I'm operating a Facebook page under. Uh-huh. Uh, it's best to just get a hold of me on my business page. That, that's actually, you know, it's me for sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, you know, the phone, I give my phone number out to everybody, too, 214-293-5507. I prefer text messages just because I'm usually cleaning shit with one hand while I'm texting you with the other. Like, you know what I mean? Right, Or I'm dealing with, like, seven people I'm in, like, PMs with at the same time. It's really hard for me to stop everything I'm doing usually and have a conversation during the day. At nighttime, I can do it, fucking. But during the day, uh, I'm... There's like 300 animals here. <laughs> but yeah, gotcha. you can hit me up on the phone. You can hit me up on Facebook. Uh, you can catch me at any reptile show in Texas. I'm at almost every reptile show in the state of Louisiana. When you don't catch me at a show in the state of Louisiana, my animals are also represented by Patrick Starr, Patrick Starr Exotics. Uh, man, I ship nationwide. I've got snakes. So I got to man for sure. Cool. We, we, uh, we uh we may have to I don't know if we if we come down for Southern Carpet Fest I don't know if we can uh, take a side Dude, track to go check out some retics but Evan, Evan's dragging me out to Southern Carpet Fest this year y'all nice. come for sure man. you're more than welcome out of the house for sure man Absolutely. nice yeah we never 
We never miss Southern Carpet Fest. Come on. Well, Evan has one job this year, and that's to procure queso because he didn't last year, and that pissed us all off. (laughs) Yeah, that that pissed us all off. So, you know, he has one job. Hell, yeah. That's Mm -mm -mm. funny. No, I should be out there with y'all guys this year, man, for sure. Awesome. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, you know, hey, you're welcome back anytime. When you're ready to reveal your morph and your project and all, yeah, please. hit me up. Hit me up. <laughs> Come on. We'll, we'll, we'll get it out there for you, man. We'll do it here. I'm, I'm going to cut those eggs early spring, man. I figure I'm going to release everything to the public. It'll probably be about June this next year, man, when I can really okay. compile it all. Right. And I'm all about coming back on and doing a little unveiling thing for sure. That's awesome. I love that. Cool. Awesome, man. Oh, well, yeah, thanks pleasure, for coming guys, on. Man. Absolutely. It was a real pleasure, man. I appreciate you guys. Yeah. Thanks, man. Have a good night. Yeah, yeah, have a good see one, you, man. See you in April. See you in Texas, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. See you. Cool. Owen, are you ready for some retics now? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, man. Oh, on. damn it. No. No, that's the one no. snake. That is the one snake that 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 hasn't uh, ever tempted you, except the cow. You're, you're the, the cow. cow. Oh, the cow. Yeah. But let me put it this way: if I were to, I feel that if I were to go into the giant snakes, I would have had to have started in the giant snakes because nothing downstairs is geared towards taking a, an animal that would get as big as a retic or an anaconda or a berm to a healthy adult. Size, like you're right. I could have, I could have an entire collection of males, all males. We couldn't have a single female down there. So, I no. Yeah, that's true. See, I guess because I came from big snakes, that's where I started. That's where my love always was. You know, I mean, that's yeah. But then also, you have the room. You already have. Like I was over at your place, and you're showing me all the uh, the plans you got for the expansion. You have the out of that. Yes, you're not properly prepared yet for your giant snakes. But your giant snakes are babies. You have time. So, you know, and in probably about a year from now, you're going to be prepared for them to get big. And you're going to have, like, another room or your, your expanded room, and you're going to have the cages set up that you need. You know, I yeah. unless I want to take over one of the other rooms in my house to make up for just a retic room, eh, no. And, I mean, I was tempted about – and I, I, we – uh, I I think I messaged you and Matt. I'm like anacondas are cool. Like that was something that was, <laughs> you know, tempting me know, at that's... some point earlier. So <laughs> that kind of took me out of left field. I was I, like, what? I, I you know I get around to things every once in a while. I'm like hey, anacondas man. are kind of cool. So you know there's nothing wrong with that. Didn't you, have, to be... Didn't you no. have one over at Site B at some point? Oh no, I that was Chris's. That was oh, Chris's. Okay. He had an anaconda, and he he always had anacondas. And it was uh, we used to have one at the zoo, and we had mm-hmm. a boy, and then we wanted another one for educational programs. So uh, Chris had these big anacondas at one point, and I tell my boss that I know a guy who's got an anaconda, and he's getting ready to sell it. So we go over to his place, and mm-hmm. this I've handled this anaconda forever, like all the time, and it's been perfectly fine. I'm like, he's really nice. And I pick him up and he just latches onto my forearm and just like starts wrapping me up. I'm like, this is not going well. So, it, this, you know, 
they get this thing <laughs> off me. I'm bleeding everywhere. And Chris is like, so I'm guessing you're not going to take the anaconda. I'm like, no, we're good. So, you know, that's. <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, it, they, it struck me. I'm like, you know, the yellow, I always find the high contrast. Yellows are gorgeous and just, you know, a big green anaconda are, are, is cool. And it's something that is not very readily produced. You know, there's maybe no. a few people with a litter here and there. So, yeah, that was what was appealing to me. But then I came to my senses, much like how I was like, eyelash vipers are cool. And then Buddy Buscemi kept sending me, you know, horrible, horrible pictures. So, yeah. you know, that's ruined that one. So right now I'm sitting pretty on the animals that I have and then a few projects that might be coming in. All of them are pythons, uh, except, and I totally blame Matt Minatola for this. Um, Sanzinia. Yes. Yes. It, I, I, I don't know why. I explain it, man. I know. Thank you. All right, fine. <laughs> You're with you're with fellow addicts. You're you don't have to explain anything. <laughs> you don't, you don't have to explain. I got to play with two of them for like an hour, and I'm like, I need these. Like, you know, that's that's it. And then I come home, and I look at these Dominican red mountain bows, and I'm like, you guys suck. It's like, I mean, <laughs> why, why aren't did you Dindinia? Why do I have why, you? Why <laughs> so, you, can't you be green instead of red? The better I know. So, it's like, it's, so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I, I'm going to have to get into those. So Matt's like, I have these. I'm like, make more. So hopefully Matt does that and I'll get my hook up there, but you know, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's weird when it comes to, uh, you know, I, you know, everybody knows they've been listening that I've been expanding my collection of pythons into my, you know, which always been my dream and all that stuff. But like outside of carpet pythons and really ball pythons, uh, yeah, I really like it when it like retics, for example, I, man, you just can't beat a normal retic. I mean, they're flipping. They're fucking beautiful, man. I, I, yes, I don't know. They are. There's just something about that. You know, I, I love the morphs and I think they're cool, you know, but like, I don't know, man, it's just something about that natural, you know, looking, uh, retic that I, I just love I, I, I like I have that one female and you know I plan on hopefully uh, at some point adding a few more uh, you know uh, I have it planned out mapped out and whatnot but um, you know it's just being real selective with with what right. you're getting and you know that's that's kind of the goal but um, you know I, I, I just have a hard time gearing away from the normals uh, you know even like the locality stuff and all like I was saying earlier I'm looking at at all these different localities of uh, just normal or mainland and dwarfs and super dwarfs. And just like, it's just crazy, man, how different they are. Right. But I don't know. We'll see. Cool stuff. Well, for it, sure. it, it, they're, they're very pretty wild type species. And then every morph, retics have gorgeous eyes. I mean, that's always what does it. Yeah, for me. They're just very pretty animals. So, you know, it, Hey, if I had, the space and if I had jumped in it from the beginning, I'd probably have a ton of retics. But you know, <laughs> so we 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 had one at the zoo and she was just a big tiger retic, um, sixteen uh-huh. footer. I mean, she was just a bitch, and it was like it was like going her cage with a riot shield is what I had to do because she would come at you, and we had to feed her. We fed her ten pound rabbits, I think once a month or something like that, and it was just. Right. 
and that's what did it. I, I, you know, I she was just more hassle than fun. So I guess that's what killed retics for me. So right. Well, I, my passion is 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 burning strong. You know, I, 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 just I know. have to uh, have to uh, really be selective. Well, you know, because you don't have a when you're dealing with all these different things. You know, you know, you only have X amount of cages and just be selective. Yeah. Hey, I'm, you know, I have to go, uh, I, I didn't tell you this earlier, but I have to go down to Philly on, uh, airport on Thursday night. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I got to help Andrew because he's getting in, uh, adult beaded lizards. So, okay. um, I'm, I'm like, I'm good. I'm like, I got to do play with that stuff. But then it's like, you know, uh, I'm like, Eric's going to pop one Python. So I'm like, wonder if I swing by there and poke at a pop one python. I'm like, no, then I'll just want it. So it's like I need to keep Definitely you and should, your man. I don't know, I need to keep you and your weird fringe species away for a bit. Otherwise I'm gonna end up buying shit. So, you know, that's you're dangerous, dude. <laughs> so you're, you're, you you yeah. might have become dangerous. <laughs> yeah, I'm loving it though, man. I mean it's so good so I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna talk about this for a couple minutes. Um yeah. but like I think I've said this on the past show, but this whole thing of like, you know, trying to work with all these different species of pythons has really the, the, my the thing that I love the best about the whole thing is it keeps me in my snake room and off of Facebook. Mm. Sure. I haven't been on Facebook other than to send people messages. I, you know, occasionally something will pop up and I'll like it. There's no drama, dude. I'm just, yeah. I'm excited about being with the snakes and like, you know, it's just that, that, that magic when you get that new species and you're, you're like just amazed by it. You know, I'm, I'm like the little kid again, when I had the garter snake and the little critter keeper, uh, you know, eating the goldfish mm-hmm. and just sitting there, you know, just being amazed that, you know, wow, look at this thing in, in my house and I'm keeping it. And wow, this is awesome. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, so, so different, um, going from species to species is just, you know, when you're dealing with ring pythons and then you're, you're checking out the retic and then, you know, diamond pythons and then, uh, you know, Timor pythons and berms and, you know, Angolans and it's just, it's nuts, man. It's it's really cool. That's and awesome. I'm having a blast. So, uh, I don't know. I'm just going to keep it going because, you know, life's too short not to make shit happen. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, man, stop by, see some pop one pythons. I, you know, I, I was talking to the guy, so I got a trio now. So I have the, uh-huh. um, the, the female that I'm getting from Joe. And then I have a pair that's coming. That's captive born and bred. And, you know, I was talking to him about, you know, just how he keeps them and whatnot. And he's telling, he told me, he's like, you know, I, I promise you that when you get these snakes, mm. you will fall in love with them. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this, this could be bad. It's dangerous. You know? yeah, that's not good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is not but, good. Uh, yeah. But, um, yeah, I can't wait. I can't wait to get them. That's, that's pretty, pretty freaking like, Again, so. dude, it's going to be dangerous. If I come in there. And I end up playing with your Papa One Pythons, and I'm going to be hunting them again, and that's it's no good. So you know we'll have to, uh, we'll see. He but, still has some available. Um, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> but, no, but the good, the cool thing is, is that uh, Andrew now has an adult pair of beaded lizards. 
So okay. he's he's like, oh, man, I'm going to try to breed these. I'm like, I enjoy baby beaded. So you know, <laughs> that's something cool because I'm helping him figure out what to do with them and how to do the cooling and how to do the breeding with those guys because they don't act like his, you know, African monitor lizards that are, you know, it's 120 degrees in here. We're chilled. It's like, wait, what? So, you know, there's that. So, uh, and they're just cool. And I've been playing with the one he does have. So, right. Uh, again, that's dangerous. All my friends are getting cool shit and it's all dangerous. Matt gets <laughs> Manzinia. Andrew gets the beaded. You're getting pop ones. It's crap. All of you <laughs> ruining my goddamn wallet. Anyway. <laughs> but. Yeah, it's good stuff. So, I do have a little bit of announcement. Um, I was uh, asked to be on um, From the Ground Up podcast, um, which will be Monday. So right. I'm doing a I'm doing a dual uh, uh, podcast next week. We have I'll be doing that <laughs> on Monday night. All right. Um, and uh, you can follow those guys, uh, Port City Pythons, etc. I guess we're going to be talking about maybe my new acquisitions, Morelia Python Radio, Carpet. Is there is there a Morelia? Is there a number that people can call in for questions? I'm asking no. for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Answer <No>. me. <laughs> Answer me. <laughs> I'll find it. Don't you don't you doubt me. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, well, well, yeah, it should be I've... cool. To be to be on the other side of the of the mic for once again. Um, yeah, no, not for yeah. once. We've done again. Yeah, yeah. Come on now. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, apparently when we do it, uh, they stream mm. it on YouTube too. So it's gonna be like one of those uh, one of those things, you know. So. I guess if you want to follow it on YouTube, Owen, you can send questions. There it is. I'll find I'll find way. you somewhere. If I'm bored yeah. on Monday, I'll, you know where I'll be. You better hope yeah. I am lazy this weekend and have a lot of stuff to clean. <laughs> <laughs> on Tuesday, though, I'm pretty excited oh. about the show that we have coming up. So, you know, every year we do do a breeding, at, you know, like our annual breeding episode uh, where right. we talk about breeding pythons and you know uh sometimes what it's we're geared doing. towards beginners sometimes it's geared towards intermediate you know um so i would say if you have questions uh and you're mm. curious about something as far as that goes send it in info at moreliapythonradio.com you can send it over on facebook too just send me a pm or whatever and we'll try to hit on it but basically what we do just like we do every year um we start uh you driving motorcycles over there? We uh no, well there's somebody driving by. <laughs> I mean, like, what do you want? For a... I'm sorry, Birdsboro is not as dead as you think it is. Jesus. Yeah, you're getting more action over there than we are here in Warminster, but you know, hey. Well, you know, I the uh, whatever. <laughs> 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 I got no I got nothing. I got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so uh um yes. Yeah. So, you know, we'll be talking about that and we you know, just talk about the ins and outs of breeding and, you know, it's, cool. uh, it's something we do every year. But this year, and I think going forward, we're going to do this each time is that we're not necessarily interviewing somebody, but we're going to have somebody along with us. Uh, and uh, that somebody is Keith McPeak. Ah, um, cool. All right. Yeah. That's awesome. He's an awesome guy. He's got some crazy projects going on too, man. He's buying stuff. Yeah. Some some crazy some crazy stuff. Um 
but uh, he has a lot of experience with breeding uh, pythons, and um, you know, I think it should be cool. So um, Keith's always a, always good to talk to, and uh, he always gets me fired up. So I'm looking forward to uh, to hanging out with him. You know, I think it will I think it will be good. So like I said, if you have questions or something you want to hit it on or whatever. We're just going to be talking pythons in general. I'm sure as we're going through, we're going to be talking carpets and and bloods and and you know bolins and scrubs yeah, so and, we gotta, and all this stuff. You know, we're going to have to pick uh, Keith's brain about the bolins and what he's trying this year, uh, as opposed to my, what was different from last year and stuff like that. So, yeah, yeah, and we, and and how we do it is we just kind of walk through our process from beginning to end. You know, you mm-hmm. know, one of the things that Ryan was talking about tonight is. You know, you got to feed the breed, so to speak. And, like, you know, that preseason is probably the most important part of the whole season, and everybody often forgets that part of it. So um, that can be the difference between having success and not. So uh, uh, it should be a cool show. So, like I said, any questions, send them info at moreliapythonradio.com, and and we'll be sure to get that in there. Uh, For us, moreliapythonradio.com is our website. Um, we're all over the place as far as uh, social media, you know, uh, Facebook, Twitter, uh, you know, Instagram, uh, over on blog talk, you can listen to the show. You can download it on iTunes. Uh, I would urge you to subscribe, uh, that way, uh, every Tuesday you will have a new uh, podcast to listen to. Um, and that's, uh, what we got going on for there. Um, and then for myself, ebmorelia.com. Um, check out my website. Um, again, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff, ebmorelia. Um, and if you have any questions for me personally, comments, uh, or something that I'm doing or whatever, uh, send it to eric at ebmorelia.com. That's all I got. Cool. Uh, what I got is you can go to rogue-reptiles.com, check out all the stuff we got going on at Rogue. Uh, the breeding journal is up already on the updates tab. Unfortunately, it is already out of date. So, um, but a lot of it is going to be the same. So if you see anything you like over there, please let us know. You can be put on a list for any of the uh, pairings to be notified if they is success and if there are uh, babies uh, for it. Um, as far as animals for sale, we got all those animals up for sale that we currently have. So, uh, check that out. Definitely check that out. Uh, as far as shows, the next show I have coming up would be the December Hamburg Reptile Show. Uh, other than that, I got nothing else cooking. So uh, what we'll say is thank you all uh, for listening. We're going to catch you all back here next week for some more Morelia Python radio. Good night. <laughs>